2: This is episode 368 of Aloha for February 25th, 2023. Welcome to another episode of Mora, the fandom's original Harry Potter book club. I'm Bianca Lynch.
3: I'm Rex Haddon. And I'm
4: Jeff Hutton. And our special guest today is Janine Lang. Janine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're happy to Yay. have you. We are excited for you to be here. And if anybody who's not watching this on Patreon can't see, but you have got the right mug, you have got your Lumo sweatshirt on, you came fully prepared, and you understood the assignment.
1: I am a teacher, so I need to understand the assignment in every area of life. What do you teach? Well, what grade
4: do you teach?
1: I teach all over the place in elementary just because COVID messed with all of our teaching assignments, but kindergarten and grade one are like my heart, so.
4: oh so little children.
1: The very little ones who can't function. Those are my
4: favorites. Aww. <laughs> oh, it's fun. It's fun to teach children when they're that young. Oh, you mean before yeah. the
2: sarcasm? <laughs>
4: <laughs> are you kidding? That's where you know what? That's where they learn the sarcasm. Those are like where the seeds of sarcasm. Janine is planted. teaching it.
1: Janine well, teaches the yes. sarcasm. If I say something sarcastic, it goes right over their head, and so my teaching assistants and I just kind of look at each other from across the room, like that was funny, right? Yeah, yeah. They have no idea. Yeah. <laughs>
4: They, they teaching assistant at that age, I just get the one poor teacher and, you know, all they got was the power of prayer and a couple of pencils.
1: You know, that's usually how it goes. <laughs> I don't even understand how I have a teaching assistant, but I'm not going to question it because I need her or I would pass away at work every Definitely.
4: Day. <laughs> definitely. Now, I think I detect a very charming accent, Janine. Uh, what part of the world are you in?
1: I am Canadian. I think oh. all of you are in the States, right?
4: We are. Us we are. Yeah.
1: So I have a bit of a Canadian accent, is what I've heard. I don't hear it, but other people do. Um, I'm from a small town near Winnipeg, Manitoba, if you know where that is. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I know where yeah. that is. Mm-hmm. It's the capital city of Manitoba. So it's like, like, kind of central Canada. We're like, close to the border so it's like an hour drive for me to hop across to the states for a shopping weekend or whatever oh nice yeah where
4: in the states do you do you do that do you have a favorite shopping spot
1: we usually go to Grand Forks or Fargo um well North Dakota or Minnesota but Mm -hmm.
2: yeah because they're so close together but that's usually where we go all I heard when you said that was freezing cold weather. <laughs> yeah, well,
1: you know the weather is identical to what we have where I live, so mm. I, I don't even think anything of it. If anything, it's
2: worse where I live in our north, so. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Since I reside in the south, every time I hear about these northern things, I'm like, "Oh, really? It's it's, it's sunny here." I don't know.
1: Yeah, like it's minus <laughs> like well, the temperature we do Celsius here, but it's minus 15 degrees Celsius here and we're like out in sweaters and t-shirts because we're like
2: wow. hallelujah
1: we're not freezing anymore and I'm well aware that that's not normal but for us it is What <laughs> <laughs> is
2: normal normal is relative. yeah
3: no that's how it's <laughs> yeah. like in Chicago as well because we're um above freezing now so when yeah. I'm out I'm seeing people in shorts and like t-shirts which I think's weird Right. Cause it's still cold. Yeah.
1: So when every, when everyone else, well, I have friends who come and visit from warmer parts of the world and they think we are crazy because we're mm. walking around in t-shirts all the time and there's snow on the ground and it is cold, but we have to find little joys where we can. Otherwise, why would we live here where the air hurts our lungs, you know? Little joys everywhere. I support it.
4: What house are you, Janine? Yeah, give us your fandom ID. Houses, wands, patronuses, whatever you like.
1: Well, I am a bit out to lunch on that because I am a Ravenclaw. But the older I get, the more I feel like there's pure parts of Puff that are just creeping in that are becoming more and more a part of who I am. So I like to identify as half Ravenclaw, half Hufflepuff, if that's allowed.
4: Yes, definitely. Actually Raven are very, very common. I know that um there's a thing called the sorting hat chats where it can sort you into a primary and secondary house. So right. it's become very, very common for people to I think to identify as more than one house. And it seems to me someone's free to correct me on this, but I think that anytime you have a combination of two houses that somebody identifies as, it's pretty common for Hufflepuff to be one of those two.
1: Mm-hmm. I could see that. And I feel like you take, you know, the quizzes when you're so young and, mm-hmm. and you change as a person. And then the sorting hat always takes into account what you want anyway. So
4: do you mean the online quizzes with very obvious? Like,
1: <laughs> there's the a situation. Oh, like, what's the the your very favorite, favorite color? Color.
4: Red, <laughs> green, blue, yellow.
1: Do you like being a jerk? kind how do you
4: handle this situation with bravery with cunning with hugs and hot chocolate (laughs) if your fellow student was was cheating
2: what would you do (laughs) so when are when are
1: y'all gonna make a new quiz that's better
4: um, I think you should. Actually, I recommend the Sorting Hat Chats because it gets very, very in-depth, and at certain points in the quiz, it checks you. I've said this on the show before, I feel like, but at certain points when you take that quiz, it checks you and says, here's the way you're leaning. We feel like you're this house for these reasons. Oh. Do you agree? Because if so... Great, we will proceed. If not, we can check a couple things to help understand why you're not whatever. Oh, wow. Wow. in the end, I feel like it's a very, very modern thing, and I'm in support of it for people to just self-identify. Like, I see it with Patronuses all the time, because the point of a Patronus is that you don't know what it's going to be until you learn how to make one. Mm -hmm. But Patronuses are supposedly going to say things about you, too. So if people feel like they identify as one thing or another, then I feel like it's perfectly fine.
2: Jeff, I feel but, like I need you to drop that link somewhere because yeah, don't worry, I'm very I, will, I will send it.
4: Yeah, I will send it to you guys. And you know what? I think I'll go ahead and I'll maybe even put it in the doc and see if we. Could can you get also
3: it. put it in the Slack so we could put it in show? Notes? Oh heck yeah, yeah, definitely. I will do that.
1: Is that a MuggleNet thing or is that an external thing that someone
3: created?
4: Um, I think the people aren't the people who did the Sorting Hat chats, weren't they? I feel like they were on the show at some point because this show is how I found out about it. Okay. Mm. Yeah, let's see. Sorting Hat Chats, I've got it right here. So I'll go ahead and I'll get that sent to you guys and we'll reshare that to our listeners. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. And I'm not
2: at all surprised that a lot of people say that Hufflepuff comes a little bit later because not that the other houses don't have maturity. It's not at all that, but I feel like As a human evolving, as you get older, you do just, you lean more into those Hufflepuff traits where you have more empathy for people and you are more accepting and just more, you want to be more loyal. You don't even have the energy to just <laughs> for like a lot of the other stuff, so to me, it doesn't surprise me at all that there are there's been like quite a few people who are like leaning into Hufflepuff because I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I'm just very much like peace over everything at this right. point, like Ooh. mental clarity, I've mental peace, just been all Hufflepuff.
3: of that. Like, even with like the BuzzFeed quizzes before like Pottermore came out, they always gave me as Hufflepuff, and I remember when Wizarding World Orlando first opened and i went um within that first year of it being open i remember one of the team members at universal judging me for buying hufflepuff merch no. so vividly
1: oh, oh come
3: on
4: that hurts
1: my heart i'm what so is, sorry that happened is to the you rex
4: <laughs> good of that i thought it was funny oh boy <laughs> Well, okay, so see, that's I, nice. f- I found the thing. <laughs> so I think it was episode 279 of Alohomora where uh, the Sorting Hat Chats, uh, the people who, who founded that were the guests on the show. And the website for that is uh, sortinghatchats.wordpress.com. And the reason just to help people understand why they should definitely check this out that I like it so much is because when it talks about your primary and secondary houses your primary house according to this quiz they've developed is why you do things and your secondary house is how you do things Mm. and sometimes those things can be similar sometimes those things can be different a person's method and their uh, their practices can either be similar or different
2: that
4: makes a lot of sense as far as a quiz that has been developed online that can help sort you i found it to be the most satisfyingly accurate
2: love it I'm going to do that one. Mine have been completely all over the place. I love that, like, Rex is, like, consistent Hufflepuff. Mine, nothing about my sorting has oh, been see, consistent. My <laughs> thing
3: is my, like, secondary house, Um, pretty much, like, depending on, like, the moon cycle, I'm either a Slytherin or a Ravenclaw for my secondary house.
2: Mm. I feel like those are kind of common, too, to go together, right? Ravenclaw and Slytherin. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I've never heard that. We did one, um, was it Tracy who put it in the chat? That when it was kind of like, which percentage for each house?
3: I think that was Tracy. Yeah, like, I
2: did that one, and then Hufflepuff was the least for me. And I'm like, Mm. all right. So I think I need to just, like, reevaluate everything and start from scratch.
4: Um, Yeah, that one gives you, like, what percentage of each house you are. And I was like, no disrespect. Thank you to Tracy for sharing that, but I'm, I'm not taking that quiz it was fun so janine anything else that we should know about you fun facts about your journey through the fandom favorite book favorite movie
1: well um my patronus is a black stallion and i don't know how i feel about that um why i don't
3: like horses i don't know i feel like
1: i was hoping to get something more exciting in the wizarding world i do like horses but muggles have horses too you know what i mean
3: Oh, you wanted a um, magical creature, like a hippogriff, like my Patronus.
1: Mm, Right. That's fair. So, super jealous of Rex, because he has a very cool Patronus. And so, I need a cool one. But anyway, um, my wand is holly with unicorn hair as the core. Um, I don't remember anything about the flexibility or the length or anything. Um, As for how I got into Potter... I grew up in a very religious household, and so I wasn't actually allowed to read or consume Harry Potter in any way, shape, or form, because, you know, the devil and what have you. And so I did what any middle schooler would do, and I just, you know, went to my friend's house and watched all the movies at her house, and told my mom about it years later. And... a girl. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and then got into the books from there. So I feel like I was a bit of a late bloomer with the Potter stuff because I wasn't allowed, and at first I listened to my mom, and, and then eventually I was like, wait, this sounds really cool. So I feel like that's a common a common story I hear from a lot of people who get into Potter that live around where I live. It's a very like Bible Belt type of place, which, mm. you know, is fine. But, uh, yeah, so I was a bit of a late bloomer, and I only read the books for the first time when I was in 12th grade.
4: Mm. Oh, and do you mind if I ask how, how long that's been? Like how old are you now?
1: I'm 28.
2: So I read the books in like 2011,
1: 2012
3: ish. Oh, so huh. like 10
2: years ago. Girl, yeah. I read the books mm. two years ago. No, okay. three. Sorry. 2020. My, my mind still thinks it's 2022. I read the books in 2020. So if you are late to the party, then I basically missed the entire party and then just restarted it. But
1: you're at, you're at the party now. <laughs> that's <laughs> fair. You're at the party now and that's
2: all that matters.
4: I showed up at the party in just enough time for them to bring out the cake because I saw Goblet of Fire, didn't want to wait, hadn't started the books yet. I asked my brother for Order of the Phoenix. He said, fine, if you need help understanding stuff, tell me. Read Order of the Phoenix, Half-Blood Prince. And I got done in just enough time that I did get to go to the midnight release for Deathly Hallows. That was the only midnight release I got Mm. to go to, but I, I did get to go to at least one.
1: I didn't get to go to any midnight releases for the books. I went to, like, the last... Even the movies. I caught, I think, the last two in theaters.
3: I went mm-hmm. to... For the movies, I went to all of them. Like, I went to Order, Half-Blood, and The Two Deathly Hallows. But I started the journey before the movies were a thing. hmm
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I'm making up for lost time now. It's become way too big a part of my entire personality. But... That's
4: okay. That I can relate to. So you, you're you in exactly the right place for this being too big a part of your personality.
1: Right. You know, when you're that friend in the friend group, if you don't have a person in your friend group who has Harry Potter as a part of their entire identity, it's probably you. <laughs> so.
4: <laughs> that is accurate. Like that should be that should be one of those inspirational quotes that goes on a poster. Like it just shows Hogwarts and it says, if you have, if you don't have a friend in your group who's obsessed with Harry Potter, it's probably you.
1: And then you go and you influence everyone and you slowly poison everyone's mind and make them (laughs) obsessed with it too.
4: That's page one of the handbook. No, wait, that's page two of the handbook. Page one is welcome to Hogwarts.
1: Yes. So yeah, I think that's all I wanted to say about me. I'm just happy to be here. Thanks again for having me on the show.
4: Well, we are absolutely thrilled to have you here. So thank you for joining us today for our discussion of today's chapter, which is Chapter 9 of Goblet of Fire, The Dark Mark. And it has been a minute since we talked about this chapter. The last time it came up was Episode 47 with hosts Caleb, Kat, and Laura on September 7th,
2: 2013. Oh, Caleb was one of my absolute favorite host as I was listening through since I'm clearly new to the Harry Potter fandom I literally mm. listened to Aloha more from the beginning and Caleb has always been like my identity on this show so I'm just happy to see his name popping up Caleb if you are listening hello we haven't met but I'm a fan Yes, <laughs>
4: Caleb's one of those hosts that I, like, I very clearly remember Laura, and of course we all know Kat, but Caleb's one of those hosts that every time his name comes up, I'm like, oh,
3: Caleb, oh. This is episode 47 of Mora for September 7th, 2013. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Mora. I'm Caleb Graves. And this episode is sponsored by Sherry Gomez, who's a two-time Patreon sponsor. Woohoo!
4: Yes! yes. and, snacks and for cheers Sherry. for Sherry!
3: But if you want cool things, head on over to patreon.com slash alohomora, because you can get cool things like ad-free versions of alohomora, because who wants to just skip those ads? You can see what we look like, like Jeff said earlier in the episode, with Janine's cool Lumo sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. And we do monthly meetups with the Patreons, and we might add bonus content if it comes up during an episode. Who knows? There might be more out there, too. But visit patreon.com slash to find out.
0: Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
5: Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary, void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. More.
2: And that moves us on to the shout-out maxima for today. And this is from episode 366. Deathly Hallows Chapter Nineteen: The Silver Doe. Snape ruins the vibes, and this is the episode I was actually on, so I was really excited to be able to read through these too. comments. Yes, yes, it was
4: actually that. Wasn't that episode the three
2: of us? Wasn't I think Jim? Kat was on that episode <laughs> as well. Oh yeah, I think there was, was a guest. Was, I, was I was the guest. Oh, yeah. I was I was not there. So tell me all about it. <laughs> yes, yes, it was the same three of us plus cat because Rex well, was. There were the guest. vibes
4: and Snape ruined them. Obviously,
2: obviously because when does he not? Not that I'm biased. <laughs> and what's really funny is that the shout out Maxima, for this week is also the same person from last week. Snitches get stitches. Great, yes. names and Great name and body bags and ditches if we want to keep it going. So this comment was fairly long. So I'm definitely going to be like paraphrasing, shortening it up. Um, so essentially this is on the topic of Harry not calling for Hermione to join him whenever he saw the dough, whenever he went to follow it. So this comment says Hermione would have been smart enough to tell Harry to take the locket off before he jumps in the pool. Dot, dot, dot. So if Harry takes the locket off, it never tries to kill him. Therefore, he never, needs sa- he never needs to be saved. He retrieves the sword with relative ease. If Ron doesn't save him and instead just joins Harry and Hermione after Harry gets out of the pool, I don't think Harry would forgive him so fast or even at all. Let's remember that when Ron leaves, Harry states that something had broken between them and that there was a corrosive hatred in him. So the comment goes on to talk about how essentially Hermione and Harry would not end up accepting Ron back if he didn't have the heroic act. So at the end of the day, my biggest question is, do we agree with this? Because I do think it's a solid point. However, I don't think that Harry and Hermione would just flat out be like, no, you cannot come back. And especially we had to keep in mind, these are still teenagers and we all know what it's like to be in like a feud with your friend or family member. And in the heat of it, it literally feels like I will never speak to them again. We are done. There's nothing they can say. And then literally someone says the words, I'm sorry. And then all of a sudden it's like i'm sorry too like out of nowhere so uh, i just I, I don't agree but i like the point what do you guys think
4: i will agree I with Ron. the point <laughs> <laughs> okay asked it answered How never you mind really moving on <laughs> I've mentioned, I think it was even in this episode, I don't hate Ron, but I get frustrated with Ron mostly when he does the kind of things that remind me of how I used to do those kind of things when I was his age. So, I mean, in that way, Ron is incredibly typical. He's typical teenage boy doing dumb teenage boy stuff. But then in this particular book, they are so far outside of typical teenage scenarios. But... I mean, what what Bianca described, I think, would be very, very much the case, where even if Harry still had this hatred or this anger towards Ron, if you recall, I don't remember the exact language, but it wasn't, hey, Ron saved my life. I should forgive him now. It was the shock of seeing him that, and and they had been, you know what, they had been missing Ron since he since the moment he left and they thought they'd never see him again.
2: Especially so- Hermione. Like, come on. That was her crush. Yeah. You think she cared? Yeah. She played it well. She played it well, but... Come on, you get mad at your she crush, and you're literally so much
3: Rex, better
4: Rex, you're just than her. wrong.
2: You're just wrong. Yes, no. Which is where the which is where the
4: timeless wizard rock classic Victor Crumb belongs with Hermione comes from. Written oh by my me. God. But we won't talk about that now. You're we'll both move wrong, on. We'll move Janine. On. Are you on we'll the wrong side on. or the
2: right side? Are you Team wrong <laughs> or not? <nah>?
4: Okay, okay.
2: <laughs> I feel like they would. They would have
1: forgiven Ron, but I don't think they would have forgiven him as quickly.
4: Yeah, it would have been a very different conversation because Harry doesn't forgive Ron because he saved his life. He forgives him because he's been missing him since he left and now he's back. So he's happy to have a chance to reconcile. He does make a point of saying Ron saved my life, but not to himself, to Hermione, who is trying to pummel the crap out of Ron at the time. So he's not because using it that. to make... Yeah, he's using it as a defense to get Hermione to also forgive him. <sighs> so I... I Now... So I, I, I'm not sure that I agree that Harry would not have forgiven him as fast. I, I, I am intrigued by this point of Hermione would have told Harry to take the locket off. Mm-hmm. Because... If Hermione's there and Harry takes the locket off because she said so, and then he jumps in the lake, is like the Bluetooth connection between Harry and the locket broken and like the locket isn't going to dive into the water and wrap
3: around his neck? Well, how far are they apart? Because the Bluetooth might be out, like too far. (laughs) I love how I said Bluetooth
4: and that like caught on. I mean it kind of it kind of is a bluetooth kind of connection if you think about it cuz this thing is connect th- this thing is reading what Harry's up to. And we can you well, know we can disagree about exactly how and why that is.
1: Janine, what were you going to say? S- well, I was just wondering, I've always wondered why they didn't take the locket off just so they wouldn't lose it even. It never made sense to me
2: why Harry kept it on. I feel like people swim in jewelry though, just like in real life. I don't personally... Was a long chain, though. It was a long chain on that thing. Was, yeah. was it? Is there evidence that the chain was long? Maybe I'm thinking of the movie. I I'm think I'm thinking, thinking of the, the movie, too. The and to me, it was yeah. pretty, like, short. It's so easy to get caught up in
1: the visuals from the movie. Yeah. I think what...
4: As far as keeping it on and diving in with it, I don't think Harry was thinking about it. He was super hung up on the dough, and then when the dough was gone, he saw the sword. So he's got other things that keep catching his attention. He's not thinking about what's around his neck until it's trying to kill him. But as far as why he was wearing it in the first place, I think that was – I think there's even a line in the text where Ron says, why didn't you take the thing off? and Harry says, well, we just got into a habit of wearing it because they start doing that when once they've got it, because just in case they encounter anybody or anybody sneaks into their camp while they're off looking for more horcruxes, I think they keep it on because they need to be absolutely sure that it's physically on their person so that they don't lose it.
1: And then the longer they have it on, it kind of takes over a
2: little bit. You know, it, it affects Exactly. Them. Yeah. But if Hermione exactly. were there, she could have worn it. But I think otherwise it makes perfect sense why Harry didn't take it off based on exactly what Jeff said earlier. Harry already made it clear, like, we are not taking this out of our sight. Like, we don't. And also, there's obviously someone here because maybe. Listen to the last episode. Obviously, there's someone here because where did this dough come from? So you know that there's possibly someone out here. I'm definitely not going to take it off unless Hermione is here to say, hey, you should take that off. Although in reality, she probably went to walk away before Harry started stripping. That's a whole other conversation.
4: (laughs) 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 I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. it. I, I know how it could go down. Okay. Stay with me on this. Hermione goes with Harry, right? Hermione tries to stop Harry from diving in the lake and fails because Harry has to do Harry stuff. So he takes the locket off. He gives it to Hermione. She puts it around her neck. Harry dives into the lake. He gets the sword. And then when he gets out, Hermione's like, okay, I'm going to take the locket off so that you can kill it with the sword. But it won't work. The locket's trying to strangle her. So she's like, Harry, you're gonna have to stab it while it's still around my neck. And the locket's like, ah, 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 ah. Because every time he tries to stab it with the sword, it's like moving so that it's like, oh, nope, you missed me. Too slow. Now I'm over here. Ha! (laughs) Ha! So he beheads Ron, Hermione. Ron, Ron, yeah, Ron, Ron just storms up to Harry and is like, oh, bloody hell, Harry, give me that
1: thing. Whack. Episode title, Hermione and beheaded. And doesn't have to worry about Ron ending up with Hermione because Hermione is gone. All the problems Hermione can't,
3: gone. can't die. She's the best out of the Golden Trio. It's very, I'm very explicit for my hatred of Harry and Ron. Oh, <laughs> man.
1: Well, Harry doesn't always have a lot going on. I
2: will, I will admit so that. So
3: stupid. He
2: doesn't really think... I knew that story was going to involve something with like violence in the locket of Hermione. And that's why I had that like pre laughter before it even got there. I love how Jeff somehow
1: managed to make this evil Horcrux seem like it had attitude. I mean, it's
4: Voldemort. Voldemort <sighs> is very, very like his, his words, not so maybe young Tom Riddle. And he graced Candido Beecher to back me up on this, but like Tom Riddle, I feel like was incredibly sassy in his, in his speech. He was charismatic. Yes, exactly. And mm. people, you know what, especially these days, I know this was like years and years ago when he was little, you know, Tommy trash boy, but, um, I feel like.
6: where with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com
5: that's chumbacasino.com
6: no purchase necessary btw group void We're prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus
5: with lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere
3: Goblet of Fire Chapter Nine Mos Mordra The Dark Mark.
4: So let's go ahead and let's head into our discussion of Chapter Nine of Goblet of Fire The Dark Mark. And here is a summary to help get us into it. So the Quidditch World Cup has ended, and Harry and the gang are trying to get some sleep in the tents when they're attacked by a group of mysterious strangers in masks. Harry, Ron, and Hermione run off into the woods, safely, while the adults try to rescue the Muggles who are being tortured. These strangers, as we find out in the chapter, are the remnants of the Death Eaters, a dangerous gang of dark witches and wizards who were devoted followers of Lord Voldemort prior to his downfall. The trio encounter some familiar faces in the woods, including Draco Malfoy, who does but also does not admit that his parents are among the Death Eaters. They also see Ludo Bagman, who has no idea what's going on, and a group of young men who are trying unsuccessfully to flax on a group of young women from Beaubaton's Academy of Magic. Harry realizes his wand is missing not long before they hear somebody nearby conjure a dark mark, the symbol of Lord Voldemort, in the sky. And all of a sudden they are surrounded by an assortment of ministry officials who are all playing detective at the same time. Amos Diggory makes unfounded accusations of several individuals once it's discovered that Winky, Barty Crouch's house-elf, has been found unconscious in a bush, holding Harry's missing wand just beneath the dark mark. Even though it doesn't make sense for a house-elf to have conjured such a dark symbol, Winky is fired by Mr. Crouch. Mr Weasley takes the trio back to the tent where they all share some background information about the Death Eaters' past activities and ultimately wonder what their sudden reappearance could mean now. Wouldn't Winky be
3: freed, not fired?
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's a matter, you know what? That's that's a that's a good way to ask that question Depends because you technically it when Dobby when they freed Dobby it felt like freedom because Dobby is the one house elf who actually wants to be freed. But if you think about it, we don't meet that many house elves and we only see two of them getting, you know, separated from their masters, their owners, their whatever. Be given clothes. Exactly. Because the it's the it's the inch difference in attitude from the human wizard towards the house self because with Dobby it definitely feels like an enslavement and they treat Dobby as a slave and then Dobby feels like it's being freed when Dobby gets a sock but the way that Mr. Crouch is dealing with Winky she even refers to it as being sacked later on she doesn't look at it as being freed at all she looks at it as getting fired from her job
1: And we see Dobby being freed by being given the stock as kind of our first exposure to house elves being relieved of their duties. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like because of that, I always, I remember being really shocked when I encountered other house elves later and discovered that they, you know, felt differently. I always just, I think, assumed that everyone would be thrilled to be freed like Dobby was. And that wasn't the case at all.
2: And it kind of makes you wonder if Dobby would have been so anxious to be free if his owners were not such assholes. Like, do we know? Well, I, mean, I guess we don't know. But like, let's say for whatever reason his family was amazing and they treated him really great, would Dobby have been determined to be free? Who knows? It's an interesting
4: question because we really we get like for really we much get like
3: exposed to creature,
4: yeah. Creature Her- Hermione even says, why don't you set him free? And they say, we can't set him free. He knows too much about the order. And the only other house elf that we really get to meet by name is Hokey, who works for Hepzibah Smith. And we only see Hokey in a memory. We don't spend much time with Hokey. Hokey gets like two lines. But the relationship between Hokey and Hepzibah Smith seems about as, you know, cordial As the relationship between a house self and the person that they're, you know, bound to can really be. It doesn't seem like Hoki's being mistreated. It just seems like Hepzibah Smith is kind
3: of fussy. It's interesting. But now we can go into the chapter and... Yes. At the beginning of the chapter, we're just exposed to Mr. Weasley and his parenting style, which... (laughs) Makes no sense because... He tells them like not to tell Mrs. Weasley that they were gambling Uh and like, what does Mr. Weasley do appropriately when he does parent? Because I'm just mainly thinking of chamber of when we're first introduced to him, where Mrs. Weasley is like yelling at the kids for taking the Anglia and Mr. Weasley's just like, oh, how was it?
1: Mr. Weasley loves his children appropriately, and that's about where it stops.
2: I think that he also protects them. Look at the—I know we're not there yet, but look at the way that he defended them in the woods. Like, when he was like, Mm -hmm. you know, put your wands down. Like, y'all not about to hurt these kids, right? Like, I definitely—I definitely definitely agree that to be like, oh, you know, like, don't tell your mom is not— admirable. But at the same time, I honestly feel like this type of parenting, maybe not to this extreme, but I feel like it's very common in the real world. I mean, a lot of people who I know, And you could even maybe think about back whenever you were a kid where you knew if you wanted to ask for something, you were either going to ask one parent or the other because you know that one was more likely to be a little bit more lenient than the other. And maybe this is the Libra in me with the whole balance and everything. But as someone who knows that I'm more than likely to be the parent that you're not going to want to ask, even I feel like, you know what, I'm glad that my husband is more like chilled and like laid back because I'm like, Don't even try it over here. But I also grew Mm. up in a household where I was just like my dad. So we basically asked my mom for everything. So I feel like like a lot of other things that have been talked about on this podcast, whenever it comes to the book, it seems really exaggerated and we can like make it more than it is. But in reality, I just feel like it's a pretty common thing for one parent to be a little bit more like, let those kids kid because they're going to, they're going to do it with us or without us. Kids got Uh a kid. Yeah, exactly.
4: Exactly. Especially, I mean, just think about the difference in how each of these Weasley kids has turned out. Because on the one hand, on the one extreme, you've got Percy. Percy, he he disciplines and structures himself. Like, he seems like the kind of guy who'd be like, Mother, I have dropped a teacup on the floor. I'm going to go place myself in a corner for precisely ten minutes. Like I can see little seven year old Percy doing exactly that, yeah, and the Fred and George, to me, they represent the opposite extreme, like they're the ones who are going to see what they can get away with just to see if they can get away with it, and it kind of that they've they've got such different attitudes towards you know how much how much discipline is required for each of these Weasley kids, which makes me think Mrs. Weasley grows up in an incredibly strict. Household with a lot of rules, and that's why she's the disciplinarian because that's what she knows. Whereas Mister Weasley probably had those progressive kind of parents, like the kind of parents who pride themselves on sending their kids to school where the kids call the teachers by their first name because they don't want them to have too many boundaries. You know that kind of that kind of place. So they probably came from very different backgrounds, but they love each other, so they're trying to figure out how to marry these things. And when it comes to dealing. With teenagers who are this close to being of age, who have been trying to get away with stuff for years, no matter how much discipline and structure you give them, you have to kind of say to yourself at some point, look, I have tried to teach you that your actions have consequences. I've tried to protect you from that by teaching you not to make these mistakes up front. But if I tell you not to gamble and you gamble anyway, and then you lose all your money, then you're the one who has to pay for it. Literally. I tried to warn you. I tried to tell you not to do it. But look at you now. You lost all your life savings because you gambled with somebody who I could have probably told you you shouldn't be gambling with. And now, you know, you're the ones who are left with no money. Probably doesn't help that he put a galleon on Ireland to win with said <laughs> person, but that was one galleon. Like, I almost wonder, what if the twins had bet, like, one galleon apiece instead of all their life savings? Would that have made any difference at all? I don't think so. Yes,
2: thank you for giving me
4: opposite answers back to back like that that's what I was hoping for Bianca you said I don't think so at first why?
2: I just don't think it really made that big of a difference I mean to be honest I feel like and I've I've said this a lot and I keep saying that I'm going to talk more about this and I haven't but there's so much about Harry Potter that reminds me of just like personal growth and you know how everyone's journey is different and even how you just made that comparison to um what's his name percy even how you just made that comparison to him when you think about all of the weasleys and i personally identify most with percy because in my life i am kind of like the know-it-all the like the stickler to the rules the super ambitious like i identify him with identify with him a lot even though I'm not a fan of him in this book. But regardless, look at all the Weasleys and all the different journeys they had, and they all turned out just fine. Fred and George did all this wild stuff. Guess what? They turned out fine. Ron had all of these crises about his identity and his family and him being super insecure. Here turned out fine. Percy... Went left for a little bit, mm. and you know, was kind of working on the side of the devil. But you know what? He came back. It all just turns out to oh, look, it all worked out in the way that it was going to work out, anyways.
4: I can see that. What about you, Rex?
3: You 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 said the opposite. I did well because you, you said, "Would it be different if the twins gave a galleon rather than their life savings?" Mm-hmm. And it would be because I learned. Ireland does end up winning, but Ludo is, like, nowhere to be seen, so they're trying to find him because their life savings is getting multiplied by I don't know how much.
4: He says excellent odds. He doesn't say what the odds are, but I don't pretend to understand that anyway.
3: Whereas, like, if it was a galleon, it's, like, just a smaller amount of money. They would have won less, so... It would have taken a little while longer to start their joke shop because we don't know at this point in the book that Harry is going to give them the Triwizard Tournament money because we don't know Mm -hmm. what the Triwizard Tournament is yet. So there's like that money that they end up getting that we don't know that they get yet. So the amount of money that they bet does play a factor.
2: But they still wouldn't have gotten the money back from Ludo, so how would it have made a difference whether it was a galleon or a hundred galleons? Regardless, Ludo was running, so like how does it change the? But if you give away a
3: galleon, you still have ninety-nine galleons. I would rather have ninety-nine galleons than zero galleons. Yeah.
4: But I think I think I see if I'm understanding correctly what Rex is saying is that if they bet a galleon, like if the odds are 10 to one, they bet one galleon, they get 10 back. But if they bet a hundred galleons, they get a thousand galleons back. So the reason it, it it you realize once you've read through the whole book and you get to the end, it's not just them betting their whole life savings, it's them trying to get a certain amount because of the end game that they have in mind. So if they bet one galleon and got 10 back just to see if they can gamble successfully, then yes. This, this whole subplot that we get throughout the books of them actively pursuing Ludo Bagman probably wouldn't have come about as much because they're not going to go after a ministry employee to try to get 10 galleons back from them. They can make that in a day.
2: See, I don't believe that. I, think that. I think that it's the principle and they still would have like, hunted him down. Did they ever get their money back? I don't even remember.
4: No. No, they didn't. They specifically say at the end that at first they're trying to get what they're owed. And then Bagman tries to tell them they were too young to gamble anyway. He's not giving them anything. So they try to just get the money back they gave him in the first place. But that's Mm. when we find out he has lost everything gambling and he doesn't have any money to give anybody. So now they're out. So, yeah, they do learn a life lesson But it takes them the whole book. And then Harry ends up ruining the life lesson by just saying, you know what? I'm already rich and I don't want this money because I went through a traumatic experience to get it. So here, take my traumatic, you know, wizarding money.
2: Yeah, which is why I think nothing would change. Fair enough. So moving on to... Everyone goes to bed and Harry is sleeping and then he has this dream. And I'm just curious about if anybody else found it interesting that we kind of know Harry as this person who is like, even though he is the chosen one, he's like, I don't want to be in the spotlight. I don't want all these people looking at me. I don't even want to be famous. But then we get this dream where he is clearly dreaming about being this like Quidditch celebrity. So I'm just wondering if anyone else considered that. So it's like, Harry, are you humble or not? Nah? And of course, we can argue that we can't control our dreams, but that would probably be a different podcast.
3: We can go to my comment of saying, as they say, ball is life and Quidditch has four balls. So that's a lot. (laughs)
1: Well said. Uh, Well said. uh, I think Harry is humble. And I think you're right that he doesn't see himself as special most of the time. But I also think that he's very recently in his life entered this world where He's like, I'm just little old Harry and nothing ever happens to me. And yet, boom, wizarding world, boom, magic, boom, this. So I feel like there's been this part of him that has been awakened to, even though I'm XYZ and not very special in my own perception, big things can happen to me and there are magical moments. And so that's kind of how I viewed that whole dream sequence.
2: Magical moments.
1: That's
4: fair. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of crossover, like this is the first major wizarding thing that everybody seems to understand that he can relate to. So I think it's a little bit of his personal life and something he's seeing outside of his personal life kind of putting together like oh i just been to the biggest quidditch match in the world quidditch is something big that i'm very familiar with now also i recently won a very big quidditch victory myself it was the house cup at my school not the world cup so the whole world doesn't care but still this is a big quidditch victory i had one of those so in his dreams his real life and um his his dreams are kind of melding together there, and I think it's more the Quidditch than it is the fame. Like, I think Harry, at this point at least, he wouldn't mind being famous for something that he chose to do because he enjoys to do it. He doesn't want to be famous for being the boy who Live for... The fact that his parents are dead, for the fact that he keeps getting away from Voldemort at the 11th hour. I don't think he wants to be famous for those things. He even says in Order of the Phoenix, who wants to be famous for that? But in this case, Quidditch is something enjoyable that he chose to do. I mean, they, they put him up for it, told him what it was, but once he found out about Quidditch, he's really into it. It makes him happy. It gives him, you know, something that he feels like he can blow off steam with. So if he were famous for being a Quidditch player, I don't think he would mind being famous if that's what it was about. Not that he's Harry Potter, but that he is Harry Potter Quidditch player extraordinaire.
1: Touche. I agree.
4: And speaking of major sporting events, fun fact to everybody listening at home, we are recording this episode... The day of one of the biggest sporting events in the Muggle world, because the Super Bowl is happening today. Go
1: Chiefs! Well, it's pretty
3: much only big in the States. I agree, go
4: Chiefs, because I'm a big old Patrick Mahomes fan. He's he's my dude.
1: I mean, I'm over in Canada. I'm rooting for
3: Rihanna, (laughs) because it's her concert.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, I'm over in Canada. People are definitely watching the Super Bowl, and they are hyped about it, but... Most of the people I am affiliated with are just like, Oh, Rihanna, she's making a comeback.
2: Like, (laughs) I forgot she was performing. (laughs) Comeback, I was reminded when I saw it in the doc, she's doing
3: her Fenty Beauty. She's she's gonna be beating her face for that 13 minutes, yeah, which is interesting. A mogul, she
2: hasn't even been making music, and they're like, Come do the Super Bowl. I mean, she's still amazing. Um, she.
3: Just released music for Wakanda well, I'm Forever. Well, about to say with yes. that
2: one song, two. I that think. was that was all right. That was an all right song.
1: Well, it was Someone's two songs. One of them in the was comments. instrumental, though. That's fair. <laughs> I was expecting it to be a little more
2: hype, but anyway. Yeah. Um. So yeah, go Chiefs. Yes. But I'm
3: rooting for the Eagles because I'm not sporty and the Eagle is the mascot of Ravenclaw,
4: which it's a, it's as good a reason as any to, to root for anybody in a thing that you care mostly about the entertainment aspect of it.
2: That is fair. My, um, fun fact, my husband is a really big Eagles fan, so just imagine there will be a lot of smack-talking in this house later on, and I'm very, very excited. I would
4: love to be a fly on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh, yeah. If there's any any particularly good quips, please please (laughs) mark them down, and we can revisit them.
1: Is it bad that I'm so not sporty that I read your comment about the Eagles, and my brain just went to the 80s band, the Eagles...
4: (laughs) And not even
1: to
2: the sports team. (laughs) That's not bad. No,
4: what do you you think the ambient music in Ravenclaw Tower is? It's the Eagles. It must
2: be. I have to read the comment twice and I'm like, oh, the sports team. That's (laughs) not bad at all. Like four or five years ago, I would have been you. And I would have been the same. You would have said my homes and I would have been like, who is that? Sorry, what? Yeah, sports. Yeah. Mm. So, no, relatable.
4: Are we prepared to get into the section where... Like stuff starts blowing up all over the place, and it is very obvious that the ministry doesn't know where they wake up. Yeah,
2: are we prepared for like the the Harry Potter taking a complete turn into like dark? But do they wake up
4: though? Like, do they have any idea how to handle a crisis? Are they in any way because they do not have
3: drills? No,
4: there's no protocol, there's no drills, there's no protocol. Okay. Man, the Ministry of Magic. (laughs) Everybody, they they have no idea how to form a government. They have no, I mean, not that people in the real world have such, you know, are are so great at it all the time. I'm just saying, in the Ministry of Magic, everybody gets to write a law. Everybody gets to investigate crime. And everybody in an emergency gets to be a first responder. There's no first response team. There's no medics coming out from St. Mungo's to address the, the, the chaos and the damage of what is happening. There's no wizarding police there's just
1: do you think that that's a reflection of the author's understanding of government and how it's formed and therefore that's how government was written in the books it very well could be
4: i think people have i think people have addressed that in the past about how the ineptibility of the government in these books is a reflection of how Uh, How bad the government is at governmenting in the real world. That's a word.
2: I am going to play a little bit of devil's advocate here, not necessarily to defend the government, but just to say that even if we compare this to like the Super Bowl, imagine being at the Super Bowl and something like this happens the expectations of, oh, what's our policy are probably going to be <laughs> out the window. And if you see anybody, I don't, you think I care? You think I care that you don't work? Help, help. Hey, can you do this? Can you point a one? Can you do something? So I definitely agreed that there were some things that were like, okay, why did this happen? And why did this not happen? But I also think that at the same time, we have our expectations kind of high because no one expected anything. Li- I mean, it's essentially like a hostage situation. You have people who grab these innocent people. like wh- so-
3: Well, they grabbed the muggles, which makes no sense to me because the muggles are powerless. That's fair. Whereas wouldn't it be cooler if they're like, ooh, we have this like, if they had like crumb, like doing the little loop-de-loops in the sky.
4: But see, they, they point out specifically that torturing muggles is their idea of fun. So they're really just there to cause chaos and damage and remind people that they're still around. And the only reason they're interested in torturing anybody at all is because they are muggles. It's not, you know, here's what we can do with a person by, you know, knocking them out and then carrying them around like a giant cooler
3: if it was a witch or wizard
4: it would it would be interesting if they could get a high profile witch or wizard like victor crumb i can i can definitely see that but you know what while all of this is going on i've never really thought about where was victor crumb at the time assuming he's even there he's asleep
2: like everyone else (laughs) he's going (laughs) to
3: durmstrang he's got
4: studies to study Yeah, he's probably went to some victory party somewhere nowhere near the stadium. He's probably not even here. But assuming he is, Victor Crum is probably like itching to get out there and try to fight off some of the bad guys. And his agent is probably like, No, 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 Victor, you're your precious cargo. Like, you can't. Like, imagine like Patrick Mahomes' agent, like stuff's going down at the Super Bowl and somebody's holding Patrick back, like, Patrick, Patrick, no. Do you have any idea what your net worth is? You cannot go out there and get your arm broken right now you need that
2: that's fair but i don't i i think that it makes perfect sense that it's muggles because that completely aligns with voldemort's um what beliefs around like what wizard over muggle so to me if this if this whole thing is to show that hey team voldemort is still here we haven't gone anywhere obviously you have if if the whole point is to do that then to me it makes perfect sense to why they would use muggles now the children that was too low. Maybe Victor could have done, like, what is it, the Ronsky fate and, like, grabbed the child and swooped away well, again?
1: Plus, they're all drunk. It says that they're dr- something about drunkenly, mm. drunken shouts or something, so... Wait, the Death Eaters think are think that's, are drunk? Yeah, that's, the, that's how I interpreted
2: wait, it when drunk? I
4: read it. I think the, the drunken shouts are, I think them, uh, m- we might need to check the text here loud, for a second, but I think that part norms. was referring to when they still think it's the Irish supporters...
1: Okay, so it's partying, and
4: Mr. Weasley says, I wouldn't fancy having to tell the Irish they've got to stop celebrating.
1: That was a little bit, that was about a page ago. Okay, so that's, oh, I'm glad I'm not on duty, muttered Mr. Weasley sleepily. I wouldn't fancy having to go and tell the Irish they've got to stop celebrating. And then Uh about a page later, we have... uh, by the light of the few fires that were still burning, he could see people running away into the woods, fleeing something that was moving across the field towards them. Something that was emitting odd flashes of light and noises like gunfire. Loud, jeering roars of laughter and drunken yells were drifting towards them. Then came mm. a burst of strong green light, which illuminated the scene. So I interpreted that as the Death Eaters mm. being drunk. In I the... think it's vague because it could be, to yes. just say that, that you hear drunken like voices. It could be... It could be a mixture, too. Yeah. It could be all the celebrating Irish... Yeah. I
4: mean, I think Janine's interpretation is valid. It could be... I mean, because you think about it, there's... there's, I I'd no doubt there are drunk people in the area while this is going on. Whether or not they're among the Death Eaters who have decided, hey, we're going to go out here and put on our masks and we and we're going to treat these smuggles like their vases, balloons, and a parade.
2: Yay,
4: victory. See, we're not in I'm jail. I'm thinking the
2: opposite. I cannot imagine. I just tried to envision, like, Bellatrix throwing back shots. Granted, I know she's so locked up right now. She but doesn't I was, need alcohol. She's got enough. Uh,
4: yeah. He does not need anything. No, Bellatrix has been drunk for like twenty years.
2: See, I, I feel like that's kind of the same thing. For I don't see any of the Death Eaters really being, I don't know, appeal. Even like Lucius, I feel like that would that would cause him to relax too much, and he can't. He's too much of a word that I'm not going to say on this podcast. But I love the theory Ooh. of this. I, I love it so much. <laughs> like Macy's balloons i'm still hung up on the macy's balloon thank you for that jeff yeah you're welcome i really
3: like that visual
2: (laughs) and the poor people who are sleeping because not only are they asleep they're like drunk sleep so it's like you have the the, like the level of okay normal wake up kind of groggy but you're like passed out you're really just discombobulated real rude awakening you're probably thinking you're dreaming you're just (laughs)
4: like (laughs) Oh, I gotta send a message to my wife. You get out your parchment and your quill and you're like, uh, honey, there's des, eat it. So hang on. Des, (laughs) eat Yep, that looks fine. In the area. Um, help love you kiss yes. your face okay yes. now somebody give me an owl i need to send this to my wife
2: <laughs> i feel like it's more of like just leave me like the people were like come on we have to go i'm fine just leave me in here like just don't even worry about if it. i was
1: that intoxicated i think i would be like yeah i'm not running i can't run when i'm sober
4: <laughs> like no if, if i get the macy's day balloon treatment in this whole ish and then at this least is i don't, this don't have is to, run. to be <laughs> it's a dream come true i I
2: won't remember it tomorrow y'all we are trash
4: (laughs) basically
1: so i had i had a thought so when i first was reading this and thinking about just the non-action happening or at least we don't know what's happening when all of this is going down i was surprised that not a single non-ministry wizard that we know of acted against them But then I started thinking about it a little bit more and it's kind of like some bystander effect happening along with, you know, people are traumatized from what happened in the last Wizarding War and what have you. What do you guys think about that, about the fact that that we know of? Nobody really even tried to shoot a stupefy across the field and stop it.
4: I would say some people do because Mr. Weasley is a ministry employee, but he doesn't just run off and say, I'm a ministry official. I have to do something. You boys get off in the woods. He takes the ones who are of age. Percy's a ministry wizard as well at this point um but his two eldest sons they're like unofficially deputized in the moment by their father and said you know what we need to go and help and i like to think that there are other people who are in the area who are able who are helping cuz everybody at the ministry all gets to decide when they're a first responder or a lawmaker or a detective so what What's the difference in a moment of crisis if ordinary citizens do likewise? Because
2: there are no rules.
4: Exactly. Because the rules the rules are made up and the points don't matter.
2: Yeah, I had that same thought. Does it does it say how many Death Eaters there were or no?
4: Um, I think they say about 20. Oh, really? What They're I think surrounded
3: I... by 20. I think, yeah. Assuming
4: I don't that know they are all moving in one know. single group, which, okay. by the way... I mean, on the one hand, yeah, safety in numbers, I get that. So staying together as a group, sure. But on the other hand, wouldn't it also probably be maximum chaos if at some point they spread out so that they can't all be captured and so that people don't know where the chaos is happening because it's everywhere?
1: Right, because it's described as a crowd of wizards tightly packed and moving together. So that's a little easier to, you know, attack a tightly packed group of Death Eaters.
2: Yeah, okay, I, I was I thinking prob- the same thing I probably thing as mixed you, up Janine. the twenty
4: with something else.
2: I was thinking the same thing as the you. The twenty was appears
3: like, later.
4: I
2: was like, so okay. they're they're moving through all. They're like, I mean, I envision them walking kind of in a in a middle type of thing, and there's all these people around, and no one thought to just be like, boop, <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. any of them ever, or to even maybe grab a few other people. I don't know. I I was thinking the same same thing as you, Janine. I was like, I mean, I'm not even here to say that I would have been the one to do it. But I'm just saying that I am surprised that out of all of the authority figures here and like older people, that older people, (laughs) that no one was just like, we can probably take them down and stop all of this ratchetness. But all right. Dumbledore, take the shot.
3: Well, I think it's because they don't know that Ope spell that you like- they <laughs> said Bianca earlier. <laughs> they don't know. The they don't know.
2: <laughs> well, you know what? They know stupefy. They know. I mean, what was the one with the jelly legs thing?
4: It's just the jelly legs.
2: I'm gonna turn
1: this into a whole in comedy show. show. The options are limitless. <laughs> even if you're hiding behind a tent and being a giant coward, that would be me. Yes, I would like yes, to think that did. in a moment of crisis, I would be hiding but still trying to do the right thing. Like, yeah, I do the, even but...
2: Harry
4: doing like the one Harry spell that Harry knows that Harry uses every time Harry has oh, a Harry he has problem. one spell slot.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, Expelliarmus. I mean, just, exactly. Yeah, and just it could have happened, but I understand that for the plot of the book, it didn't. Yeah, maybe there's a long lost hidden, you know, short story
1: about someone who did something
2: and we just don't get to read it. I don't know. Because they didn't make
3: it. Right. No. <laughs> because they're, they're, they're gone. <laughs> so that the horribles. Some goals. random one-shot character.
6: <laughs> okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
3: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
6: Ah. <sighs> oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. chumbacasino.com. No
5: 18 plus website for details. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
4: The horrible, terrible Macy's parade is marching through the camp and Harry and the gang run off into the woods.
3: But, like, Mr. Weasley does have his act together now. He, like, knows how to be responsible. True. During this situation. He's a bit
2: more ahead in the game at this point. Yeah. Rex, are you just a Weasley hater altogether?
3: I think I just hate men
2: okay men are
3: awful
4: do
2: you like jenny do suck
4: i like book jenny
2: okay i'll accept that
4: we don't get enough we don't get nearly enough movie jenny like they like bonnie wright looks very very nice on screen like from the beginning she really fits the character but truthfully apart from half-blood prince and um it's, it's mirror in ring theory, Chamber of Secrets. We don't really get
3: that much Ginny.
4: Even in mm-hmm. Chamber of Secrets, the movie, we don't get that much Ginny. Not nearly enough.
3: She just randomly appears in the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Like, oh, we need to put her in the chamber because that's an important plot. But anyway, Rex has a good point. Mr. Weasley telling the the kids to go and hide in the woods. At first, it sounds kind of weird. Like, hey, run off into the woods and I'll find you later. But at the same time, it's better than telling them to hunker down and stay put when the world is on fire.
2: This is okay. No, this is book four. So this never mind. This is before the D.A. Never mind. Yeah, all this right.
3: is this is yeah, this is before the DA, before yeah, all that. The DA is not even like a twinkle in their eye yet.
2: No. So we don't think that Dumbledore attends these things. Yeah, where nope. is he? That just, I mean, I think he, even for political reasons, I'm just. And granted, Dumbledore is very like anti-do things for political reasons, but it just really surprises me that Dumbledore wouldn't be at this. event. Maybe
3: he's not sporty.
2: He might not be.
4: He I mean, he might only go to the Quidditch matches at hogwarts because he's the headmaster but even then i don't think he goes to all of them because in one of the books it's like a big deal that dumbledore has turned up to watch but dumbledore has probably been to his fair share of quidditch world cups at some point or another either because he wanted to go or because he was an invited guest of somebody important that he was supposed to be meeting with but he just he might not have wanted to go
2: but I think also the Tri-Wizard Tournament. I don't know. To me, it just seems like this is the one he would be at. Because you have... this. We're about to go into this whole thing about global... What did he say? Cooperation, collaboration, whatever. Um, yeah. So I don't know. To me, it, I thought it was odd that he wasn't at, at least at this one. No,
3: but like Jeff said, the Tri-Wizard Tournament is coming up at Hogwarts. Though we don't know about it at this point. Yep. So he might mm-hmm. be doing behind-the-scenes stuffs of being like, how do we bring in these dragons?
4: Yep. Because, I mean, it's like earlier when we were talking about why doesn't Harry take off the locket before he dives in? Why doesn't Hermione go with him? It's like any time you can ask, why didn't this happen with these books? It's because the plot doesn't advance the way it does. If that were to be the case, because imagine if Dumbledore was here to wrangle all the Death Eaters in the Death Eater Death Day Parade the way he does in the next book when they're all at the Ministry of Magic. It would have worked it would be out. It boring. Yeah, it would be completely different. We would know who all of them were. And there wouldn't be this chaos and this uncertainty and all of this other stuff that follows. So it would have made total logical sense. Yeah, it would have made sense for Dumbledore to think, you know what, there's weird stuff going on and there's a big sporting event. I should probably go to that so I can do Dumbledore stuff to save the day because that's my thing. But he doesn't. And because he doesn't, the way things work out is much more interesting.
1: I just assumed he would be there because... Whether he likes it or not, he is perceived as a political figure in the wizarding world. And it's kind of like, it seems like these big sporting events are also a place for people to parade around their status. You know, like, I'm here and and I'm at the top, in the top box. And, you know, where were you sitting? It's like one of those big events where everyone talks about it later and like, oh, were you there? Were you yeah. there? Were you? Yeah, a part like people of it?
2: expect him to be there. Janine, you're right. like the, the same person on this whole It's episode. like the same
1: yeah. way how <laughs> I don't really love sports, but I go to the Winnipeg Jets games because to be at the NHL games is something people talk about all the time. Yeah. And, and like and there. networking
2: opportunities to see people who you haven't seen. Because yeah. it's not every year, right? The Quidditch World Cup, isn't it like every
1: I think mm, it's every
3: three or four, four
4: years.
2: Four years. That's what I was right. thinking. Yeah, every four it's years. about as
4: I I think it's about as often as the Olympics.
1: Yeah, it's okay. not annual.
2: So it's a bit more significant in that regard.
4: Isn't that how the World Cup, like the FIFA World Cup,
3: isn't that how that works? Yeah, too? it's every four years. Okay.
2: People don't watch football and they but watch like- the Super Bowl. Anyway, I feel like we're writing this topic football. into the ground.
3: <laughs> so we are in the woods. It is yes. dark. And there's this quote that I just thinks funny. Is what happened, said Hermione anxiously, stopping so abruptly that Harry walked into her. Ron, where are you? oh, this is stupid. Lumos. That's from page 121 of the U.S. edition. And I just thought it was funny because Hermione, I just think she kind of forgets that she's a witch at times. And...
4: Are are, are we thinking also of the moment from Chamber of Secrets where she's like, there's no wood to light a fire and Ron's like, are you a witch or not? And then oh, they go yeah. back to that later in Deathly Hallows with Ron and the Twig. In this case... I I can see how it would be seen as similar, but when it comes to, oh, this is stupid, Lumos, I don't think that's because she forgets she's a witch. I mean, there's magical nonsense going on all around her. I think it's because she's still thinking, you know what? They went to help the ministry because they're of age. We're still underage. Underage wizards aren't supposed to do magic, but you know what? The world is on fire right now, so I don't think the government is going to come check and see if I've done an illumination spell or not.
1: They could also be, speaking of instinct, it could also be her instinct of, I've been a muggle longer than I've been a witch. So her first instinct could be her muggle instinct.
2: Mm-hmm. You know what I mean?
4: Yeah. Okay.
2: I do. I, I think I'm leaning towards what um, Jeff was saying as far as, I actually, I didn't even think about the underage thing. I was just thinking that, why has no one turned on the light? And that's why she was just like Lumos. That's what kind of came to my mind. Yeah. No, I do agree with Jeff's point.
4: And I mean, it is pointed out um, when I think it's in Half-Blood Prince when Dumbledore and and Harry are discussing uh, the use of underage magic in one's home. They can detect the use of magic, but not the perpetrator. And usually underage magic is detected because like in Harry's case, it's because a hover charm was used at his residence. And as far as anyone knows, he's the only magical person living Mm -hmm. there. And they had no idea Dobby had even turned up at all. So Harry got blamed for it. Now, in this case, you've got magical energy literally everywhere. And that's been the case since before the Death Eaters Death Day Parade. I'm calling it that now. (laughs) Welcome to the
3: Black Parade. No.
1: Oh, don't even get me started.
3: Well, and then going off of this parade um, that... The Death Day Parade or whatever you call it, Jeff. We then run into Draco, who's just casually watching the chaos unfold. And this is how I feel when I watch, like, fights on TikTok. (laughs) Like, I'm just very unbothered. And I was just like, that is what I pictured Draco just doing. Because Draco knows that his father is one of them. And he's just like, they're not going to hurt me. Like, whatever. Let's just, like, where's the popcorn?
4: It's just a funny, sa- again, speaking of sass, it's hateful sass, but it's this little sassy Draco moment of, oh, you guys look so bothered. I bet that you should probably run away. I mean, I'm fine. I'm chilling, leaning against a tree, casually throwing out hateful words, commenting on Hermione's hair, which is unnecessary. And, you know, it makes me it it makes me think yeah. Lucius and Narc like Narcissa loves her son. We know that. Lucius <laughs> Lucius is a terrible dad, but it works for Draco's character development. Like, his his dad doesn't encourage Draco to be a part of the fun, he just says, you need to go hide in the woods, because you don't have a Death Eater costume, we didn't have your size, don't get mad at me, and don't bring it up to the boss, because he won't like it. And he's just hiding out in the woods, not having anything to do, not being a part of things, not bonding with his dad over the Death Day Death Eaters parade, and It just, I think it further proves that Draco and his dad really have no relationship to speak of, but that kind of works towards his character development because later on in the series, the fact that he has no real connection with his father ends up working against the Death Eaters cause because Draco in the end he can't carry out what he's being asked to do by Voldemort partly because he doesn't have the nerve but also because when the big moment arrives Dumbledore is showing him the kind of understanding and protection and affection that his own dad never gave him and I think that's important where is Narcissa
3: not here
4: Yeah, supposedly, I would think she's with the Death Eaters. No. But she's not a Death Eater.
2: Narcissa is like, I think Narcissa is above things like that. Isn't she always just
1: kind of like unwillingly roped into the Death Eater stuff because of her affiliation with her husband? Yeah,
2: because there was a whole conversation about how she's not officially... A Death Eater. And I do not at all see Narcissa participating in such childishness, well, which makes me wonder why World wasn't Cup. she? Yeah, she was. Because that's, isn't that where Harry saw her for the first time?
4: Yeah, that's where we find... We don't even find out... This is where we first find out what her name is. We yeah. know you know Draco's got a mother and a father, but it's always my father, my father this, my father that, my father's going to get you fired, my father's going to give you a book, don't worry about it, just read it. Um,
2: and i was like i have a mom too and she looks like she has the smell of dung under her nose i believe was the insult from harry right
4: yep that was the read so Narcissa was was
2: there so if we don't think that she was with lucius and she wasn't with draco where is she yeah now now let let's let's think
4: about this whether or not she's officially a death eater when it later in the, at the end of this book, when the Death Eaters are summoned to the graveyard where Voldemort has been resurrected, it is only his most inner circle who are summoned. This is definitely not every Death Eater who still exists. Some of them are in jail, but the ones who are branded with the dark mark are his inner circle. So I think... No, I have so to wonder So are you saying this. that you don't
2: have to have a dark mark to be a Death Eater? Is that what you're saying?
4: Unofficially, like to do work on behalf of the Death Eaters. Like at some point, Narcissa has probably had to do something because we know she's not with Draco. We don't know that she's not with Lucius in the Death Eater Death Day parade. But she doesn't go to the graveyard where the inner circle shows up. And then later on, she does not go on the mission to the department of mysteries so you're
1: saying there's a hierarchy of death yeah eaters. like
4: there are yeah there are times where she needs to be present but there are times where she doesn't need to be present because in the first chapter of deathly hallows she's there at the big meeting that voldemort is having with all of his death eaters yeah so, that's because
2: draco's there and she's like draco is not going to be with voldemort when i'm not there
4: i don't i don't think she really has that much control over whether or not what Draco does and doesn't do when Voldemort steps in to say what Draco is or isn't going to do because even though she's his mom and she loves him and she wants to protect him she is not foolish enough to think that she is going to go against Voldemort but it's not about going against
2: Voldemort it's like if Draco's in the room with Voldemort I'm in the room as well I'm sure Voldemort wherever like Draco I want to talk to you privately sure um but outside of that I just don't think she's going to leave his side I don't this is one of those things where, again, the possibilities are limitless. I would love for the listeners to chime in and say yeah. where you feel like Narcissa is at this point.
4: Yeah. Where is Narcissa? Is she actually a Death Eater? Why was she at the board meeting in Deathly Hallows if she didn't have a direct role? Is it just because it was Malfoy Manor and she lives there? Like, w- what's, what's Narcissa's deal? What do people think?
3: The Golden Trios looking for Fred, the dead one, George, the Saint one, and then Jenny, who's gonna kiss Albus later. Um, and then we get introduced to um Bobota, um, one of the schools that will be in the Triwizard tournament later. And we run into a girl with thick curly hair said, Ues Madame Maxine nous avant. Um, and I just really liked that little call out to Bobota. Just Seeing how important that school will play later on in the book. It's always like when I read this chapter, I always like that little part.
1: I had forgotten about that part until I reread the chapter.
4: I always think it's interesting, this part, and I I'd never thought about it this much before uh, preparing for this discussion. But we meet the Beaubaton girls and then we meet Fleur, which kind of makes it feel like where school they are from is much, much more important. Like, this is the French school of magic. We are very, very proud of who we are and where we come from how we do things because they 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 reference I think the attitude of and the the way the Beaubaton students carry themselves when they're at Hogwarts much much more than the Durmstrang students ever do we even get mention of other Durmstrang students or not Durmstrang students but Bobatong students they don't get names necessarily but they they kind of pop up throughout the book at different times but with Victor Crumb, on the other hand, we meet him before we ever hear the word Durmstrang. The word Durmstrang doesn't even come up for a few more chapters. So when they show up, it's like, okay, he goes to a school. The school has a reputation. Their headmaster is a total jerk. But... He's evil. None of that... Victor Crumb is evil. He's not evil.
3: (laughs) That's the vibe that it's painting, though.
4: But what... Okay, so it it maybe it is kind of setting him up as a red herring a little bit. That's that's for listeners to discuss as well, I think. But I, what what's interesting is they set up Beaubaton before they set up Fleur Delacour, so that where she's from and where she goes to school is significant. But with Victor Crumb, you meet him, then you find out about the school, and he's like the only one apart from Paryakov that we ever get named. So nobody mm-hmm. else from the school student-wise, matters except for Victor Crumb. So in that case, it's not about where he goes to school. It's
3: about who goes to school there. But I do also, like, we're introduced to Vila's as well. Um, I think we're introduced to them in the chapter before this, but there's... Yeah. Because there's this... I don't know if this is written in the doc, actually. But there's that part where people are, like... Oh, no, I do have this in the doc somewhere about Ron saying he has a broomstick that'll reach Jupiter. And I said he said that because um, boys go to Jupiter to get more stupider. <laughs> Just because... Um, uh, facts. Um, I don't know where I was going with... Oh, because we were talking about Beaubaton not being mentioned, Victor Crump being yeah. mentioned. But Fleur is... I feel like I am not speaking coherently.
4: It's okay. I I, I think I... What- I don't know if you meant to do this or not, but I think you actually kind of exposed something that I think I forget about sometimes when I read this chapter. I forget sometimes. Let me know if this happens to anyone else. I forget the Beaubaton students that we see in the scene are separate from the group of Vila that the group of boys are trying to... um, That they're trying to uh, impress by, by chatting them up. Like, I forget... That those are two different groups of of young women.
2: I don't because think isn't that blur, I f- heard "sabila." Sorry, yeah, me, no. Fleur's I was just corner. gonna say I don't. I don't think corner. I necessarily get them. Can I don't think I forget that they're separate, but I do think that it does. But it has definitely been confusing for me. Even whenever they kind of explained what they were, and then they said that fleur was Vila. Uh-huh. it was like, "What well, is it? Just fleur, or Is it all of the bobat and bobaton?" Like, which I don't know. So it, it has confused me. Is my point.
4: In fact, I need to issue a retraction. I apologize. In my summary of the chapter, I I said that the group of young men are trying unsuccessfully to flex on a group of young women from Beaubaton, and that is not accurate. You see the the students from Beaubaton for a moment, and then you see the young men trying to chat up the villa. And I think the confusion for me Mm -hmm. is that Fleur Delacour is part Vila. We find that out later on in the book. But I think there's also something about the way they're presented in the Goblet of Fire film that might have added some confusion for me because they don't say Vila. We don't find out in the movies that Vila exists. If you haven't read the books, you wouldn't even know that Vila Mm -hmm. are a thing. And so you certainly wouldn't know that Fleur Delacour has Vila ancestry. So they just kind of present all of the Beaubeton students, apart from the fact that in the movie they're all female, which isn't fair. um, They present them all as these alluring, irresistible, you know. Exactly. Like creatures of beauty. Don't get me started on that. But I think that (laughs) all of that might have been why I was confused about these two separate groups of individuals. So I I apologize. That was my mistake.
3: Well, um, they are like briefly broken up. It does make sense seeing Bobeton and the Villas as the same just because of Fleur. I definitely see where you're coming from with that, Jeff. Mm-hmm. But between the two, the Bobaton and the Villa, um, we briefly run into Winky, who is upset because presumably the trio doesn't think she followed orders and she was hiding. Mm-hmm. And... Just how it was written, I don't know where this memory came from, but I pictured um, Silas um, from The Da Vinci Code. <laughs> He's that, like, creepy guy from Opus Dei. Very niche, random reference, but, like, pretty much, like, he, like, tortures himself to, like, feel, like, oh, better Oh, yeah,
4: Paul Bettany's character in that movie.
3: I don't know. The I albino. Yeah, the albino guy.
4: Yeah, that's Paul Bettany, very very charactery character kind of you know, character that Paul Bettany likes to play.
1: I haven't seen that movie, but I did like your point about the feelings of torture that they kind of experience when they've misbehaved.
4: That's Is an that- interesting parallel. Yeah, that's that's um you know that's that's him. I believe in the in the Da Vinci Code with that character I believe that's him punishing himself because he's been conditioned to believe that to suffer is to bring oneself closer to Christ because he suffered that's a lot of times yeah, I think what the self sins. yeah the because the, it's specifically the flogging himself that you see him doing mm-hmm. in that movie so yeah I, that's an interesting parallel
3: uh, with how selves it was very random i like Truly don't know where that memory came from. That's fascinating.
1: Good connection, though.
3: Yeah.
4: And in that moment, I admire that, you know, with Hermione Granger, the fact that there is so much chaotic stuff going on around them, but she still manages to find the energy to judge people who don't support her cause of wanting to be nicer to house elves. Like, this is really, this is where I, isn't this where this whole thing, like seeing Ooh. Winky, that yeah this is really where this all mm-hmm. begins is she
2: is she judging the them or is she calling them out
4: well i i feel it like you could probably look at it as a little bit of both just depending on some people, I think, would probably call it judging because I know that some people, unfortunately, don't have the best attitude towards Hermione and the way she approaches the causes that she believes in. Because it comes across to some people as judging. To some people, it it does, it does just becomes across as her speaking her mind and, and standing her ground and, and stating what she believes in, yeah. which I think is perfectly fine. But when she starts spew, I think – She's clearly not, she's either overestimating people's ability to empathize with her cause, or she's underestimating the weight of the task that she is taking on at the age of 14.
2: No, that's fair. I think that her her starting it, great. Her expectations of what other people were going to do or not do to help her, slightly unrealistic.
4: Yeah, good intentions, bad idea.
5: And
2: she didn't she didn't
1: involve any adults. And I'm not saying that kids don't have power, because I'm a teacher. I totally believe kids have power and can do she anything tried. they set their mind to, but well she did try, but well, and maybe she tried more than the book describes. I don't know.
4: She might have. I mean we, we, we also have this tendency with, with books and with films to say if it didn't if it wasn't explicitly described in the text or if it didn't happen on screen, then it didn't happen. That's where headcanons come in.
2: I mean, hell, there are people who believe that if you didn't post it on social media, it didn't happen. We can go into a whole world of this.
4: All I want to say about these these young men trying to uh, chat up these Vila who are not Bobaton students, again, sorry about that. All I want to say about that is look at the jobs that they claim that they have. One person says he kills dragons. One person says he hunts vampires. One person says he's going to be the head of the government. And I'm thinking, well, way to go, fellas. You all pick jobs that involve flexing your power and your authority and your privilege over others in the most dangerous way possible. And specifically, two of them are about labeling other creatures as not only other, but dangerous and needing to be eliminated. And you're the only one who can do it because... Because you're a brave, macho, strong, powerful man. So good for you,
3: bro.
2: That'll really get the ladies. I never not Why? laugh at this part. Why? <laughs>
4: Why? Why?
3: Is and that is, how bro, yeah. you found your husband, Bianca?
2: <laughs> no. Uh,
3: no. Okay.
2: no. And if he were to tell me that he was a vampire hunter, I was like, okay, first of all, we're not going to kill any more of them. We're going to join them. So this is going to stop <laughs> right now.
4: I would, oh. I would say, why don't they just rip off their robes and literally start beating their chests? But it's probably because, just guessing, these guys don't strike me as the kind of guys who have any chest muscles, so they probably wouldn't have the strength to beat their own chests, and they'd probably break their chest cavities.
2: Yeah, these are bird chest boys. We're not interested in... We don't want to see that. We don't wanna see. Uh, what I am wondering about this is... Was this magic ever explained, like, how the Vila even have this effect? Like, what is it? Because isn't, I haven't read the whole book in a while, but isn't there, a while being, like, four months, isn't there something about how they turn, don't they turn really, really ugly at some point? Yeah.
4: So yeah, I that- wonder
2: when that happens, what happens with the trance?
4: My theory has always been that that part where they turn very nasty and they turn into those, you know, bird like birds of prey type creatures like that, they can turn on and off based on their emotional level and their intent. But as far as the amount of power that their charm has over other people, I feel like that's not as much about them as it is about the person who may be susceptible to it, because like Ron He, whenever Fleur's around, he responds to Fleur so much stronger than even Harry does. Mm. I mean, Harry notices her, but especially once they've been around each other for a little while, they're in the tournament together. Harry doesn't, Harry doesn't really go for Fleur. Like, he'll admit she seems really pretty. And even, like, Cedric Diggory, think about it. Like, she was trying to... She was trying to mack on Cedric Diggory and get him to be her date for the Yule Ball, probably. And I mean, I get it; Cedric Diggory's great, but he didn't seem really all that into it, as far as we know, because yeah. he he wants to go with Cho Chang, which he does. Like he doesn't he doesn't go for it. But then think about Roger Davies, who is so smitten with her that he, <laughs> it makes me laugh when when they're at the Yule Ball and she's just being this pretentious little princess about how is oh, so ugly and we have so many wonderful things at bavetons French listeners please don't be angry at me about my accent it i blame jim dale but and <laughs> he's just repeating back what she says like he's he, he can barely focus on what she's saying yeah. so i don't think it's about how much power they exude over other people i think it's about how susceptible you are to receiving it
2: um maybe even similar to the imperious curse
3: Sure. Yeah, well, like, Vila are, like, from Slavic mythology, so Mm -hmm. it's something that the author didn't create. It's something they did research on, and, like, just from a quick Google search about Vila, like, they are supposed to be, like, beautiful women,
2: but they do not mm, turn treacherous. Like they're only beautiful women, or they also have the birds of prey thing going on, because that's probably the most frightening um, thing I heard in my entire well, life.
3: Well, um, I'm kind of skimming the Wikipedia, so um,
2: <laughs> control <laughs> fine
3: for you. <laughs> oh, it says they confuse. Wait, I don't know that. No, I don't know if it has anything about them like turning like evil and or ugly.
2: Okay. Um,
3: but I'm also just skimming and not reading the Wikipedia.
2: No, but thank you for even bringing that up because I had no idea. Um, I think that is, it is very interesting. And I think it's also interesting to have that, wait a minute. Does that mean that Fleur can do that? Can Fleur turn into a bird of prey?
4: Probably that's a fan fiction that exists. Only twenty five percent of a bird.
1: A <laughs> <laughs> like quarter of her
2: body, <laughs> which is probably even more scary. Just her head turns into a bird of prey, and her
1: body yeah. remains.
2: Yeah, just, yeah. I am
1: so girl. afraid
0: of
2: birds. I can't even talk yeah. about this anymore. Like my heart rate is speeding up. I can't. All well, right. that's if terrifying. you're done
3: talking about birds, how about we talk about Ludo Bagman? Why I don't know, but he's very shady, and he's in the dock. Um, and he's very unaware of the riot that's going on. I which, thought
4: that was so weird. Because he just got rolled by some goblin bookies.
2: But then like he's like, the he's goblin- like, how dare they? I'm like,
4: what like oh now he has this moral compass that just kicked in i mean now he can care about morals now that he's relieved of the burden of having any money at all because i fully believe that group of goblins that they see with the with the gold in the woods as they're as they're going through here i fully believe that those are the goblin bookies who just took the money off of ludo bagman because (laughs) he had to pay up but it still wasn't enough and that's why they follow him around the whole book
2: you
1: think they like shook him up hiding in the woods He's just hiding. But why- He's
4: not doing very well? He's this enormous man in yellow and black striped robes. He who needs doesn't to realize
2: better. this whole thing is happening. <laughs> oh Which, man.
3: Ludo is just a very interesting character because I know in previous episodes of Goblet or maybe Full Circle. Or both. Um he's only mentioned in this book.
4: Yeah. He doesn't come up before. He doesn't come up after he is just this weird axis who sits in the middle of the series so that fred and george have a reason to lose their money so that harry has a reason to give them money and so that he has or so that he's there to be a red herring essentially
2: yeah because even with the death Eater thing nothing comes of that either because, I mean, Ludo Bagman,
4: he's he's also there to not only be the person who says, hey, I know everything about sports. This is a sporting thing that children are doing. I'm going to be like the unofficial official MC of the whole thing. And then he's also trying to give help to Harry so that you think, oh, well, that's awfully suspicious that he would try to help Harry. I wonder why he's doing that.
3: But the Golden Trio continues on their little side quest. And they hear someone utter Morse Mordra, and Hermione's the one that realized the dark mark is conjured, and then they become surrounded by 20 wizards. So there's that random 20, Jeff, that you were talking about.
4: There we go. Yeah, that's the 20. Which
3: I think they should have made it 21, because 21 is three groups of seven, just to get seven involved in there. But we know the author's bad at math.
4: Yeah, but when Ludo Bagman shows up again, it becomes 21 because he's a ministry wizard. And isn't it kind of funny how bad he is at being useful in, like, any way at all?
2: Every scenario. And yet,
4: he's hiding in the woods because he just got rolled for all his money, and then he goes off to allegedly, supposedly, try to help what's going on back at the camps, And then he apparates directly beneath the most dangerous symbol that there is. Like, he sees the Dark Mark and he goes right for it. Moments after everybody else, of course, which seems, you know, on brand for Ludo Bagman. Like, he'll run towards the danger after everybody else already has. But I'm just saying, he shows up underneath the most dangerous symbol that there is. What exactly does he think he's going to do?
3: I don't know. But then they think Harry's the one that cast the Dark Mark, which makes zero sense to and me. And
1: I thought that Crouch was mm-hmm. majorly giving us movie Dumbledore vibes. The way he's freaking out over and over and not believing him. And you know, like in the movie version where he's like, Harry Potter, oh, did gotcha. you put your name in the coma to fire? And he's just yeah. so angry and it's not at all how it's said in the book. At all. did you go you yeah. don't the cream, right? So it's over and over and over, and just so much rage, and not letting him explain at all. It's just, I just want to tell him to shut up every time I read that passage.
4: Oh man, you know what? I just, I have, I have to bring this up just because this is the first time I ever saw this gentleman who plays Barty Crouch, Roger Lloyd Pack. You know, rest in peace. He's such a fantastic actor, but this is not my favorite thing I ever see him do. Do yourselves a favor, look up a classic British sitcom called The Vicar of Dibley. The character that he plays in The Vicar of Dibley, he's this country farmer named Owen Newitt, who is the complete opposite of Barty Crouch. Barty Crouch is well dressed and clean and disciplined and super into rules and like he's old money, but Owen knew it. He's this, (laughs) he's this dirty, foul mouthed, kind of Not perverted exactly, but much looser in that way than Barty Crouch would be. Just like, trust me, he's like, no, yeah, I don't know how I don't know how to describe it without talking about certain things. Just trust me, the, the 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 range of this actor who played Barty Crouch, you you might not necessarily know it if Barty Crouch Sr. was the only thing you ever saw him do. But he Roger Lloyd Pack was a fantastic actor.
3: No, but um, Jeff, you have a good point bringing up that Amos Diggory, um, though he does work for the ministry, is in charge of magical animal control, whereas yeah. he's like interrogating everyone. And it's just like the author put the ministry employees that we've already met and they're like, OK, these are the people that are going to question everyone because... We don't need to create some random aura to like do it, or someone who might have credentials.
2: Mm, how cool would it have been if it would have been Moody? If this would have been our introduction to him? Oh, what would ooh. it have been Moody yeah, or that, fake Moody? It would have, it would have been uh, Moody at this point because yeah, because they Junior didn't, they still... didn't, um,
4: yeah, they didn't kidnap fake Moody yet. Yeah. that was that was that's later. Okay, but. No, he, I I repeat, why does everybody get to be a detective? Amos Diggory is not qualified to interrogate children. And even so, he was just like on a hiking trip with these children. He is, he's, he's not qualified to be, it's him accusing Harry, then he's accusing the house elf, who he keeps calling Elf. This is his department. (laughs) He should know better. And then Barty Crouch gets all panicky and says, oh, you know an awful lot about how this mark is summoned, Missy. And the only one trying to be the voice of reason in all of this is Arthur Weasley saying, come on, do you really think that Harry Potter or his best friend or an elf, for crying out loud, would even know how to conjure this mark? Like, what is actually wrong with all of you people?
2: And I love that Crouch is like, oh, you seem to know a lot about it. And all she literally said was, I heard an incantation. (laughs) Like, that immediately made her dark mark expert, like, yeah. Oh, you exactly. seem to know a lot that's, about that's it. That's how I'll... it
3: works in the wizarding world. Like,
2: well, that's like, normally how spells work.
3: <laughs> wouldn't it be funny? Wouldn't it be hilarious
4: if one of the, like, oh, there was a person. He stood over there. And I think he
2: said something like, Mos and then
4: little dark mark shoots out of her <laughs> wand.
2: Oh, no. It's like,
4: oh, dear. that would be
2: unfortunate. Was there any thought of, let's see who this is before we just start stunning? I mean, the whole, like, shoot first and ask questions later, I understand that there are a lot of scenarios where that may make sense in a war-ish situation, but I'm just thinking about, you know, McGonagall in book five and all those stunning spells that hit her, and I'm like, so y'all were just ready to just take whoever down, and they just so happen to turn out to be children, who, I think it was a Harry who said to get down, who said said everyone to duck, yeah.
3: Someone said to get down, I don't remember
2: yeah i was just like so no one was gonna like even do like a freeze like it was just a oh we heard movement stupefy i
1: guess they were worried that people would just disapparate
3: yeah
2: that's fair because they
3: might not know that these three are students
1: so it's like quick hit them before they disapparate and we don't catch them
3: yeah
4: I mean, it is
1: literally, it is
4: the clearest, most blatant example of shoot first and ask questions later. They show up, they fire their spells, and then they start asking questions about what happened. They don't even, like, I don't even know if they aim well enough to be absolutely sure that they aren't stunning each other.
3: That's fair. We don't know. Idiots. But in this, like, chaotic event, um, because we talked about Barty Crouch Sr., do... We think he knows that his son is missing now because he was under like an invisibility. Uh, he was under an invisibility cloak.
1: Can someone explain the timeline on that for me? Because I originally oh, I'm thought about it too. Yeah, I, I originally thought that that's why Crouch is acting so aggressively. Like he's trying to hide the fact that he suspects his son is up to no good because he doesn't actually know where he is or. I don't think yes. it's confirmed.
4: Oh wait, Jeff, do you Yes. I've I've got two quotes from Chap from Chapter 35 where they finally get answers from Barty Crouch Jr about how this whole thing really went down, like the parts that we don't see. But um later on in the doc I know that um Janine has a good question about whether or not um Harry's wand was taken on purpose, but he says It happened there, in the top box. It was like waking from a deep sleep. I found myself out in public in the middle of the match, and I saw in front of me a wand sticking out of a boy's pocket. I had not been allowed a wand since before Azkaban. I stole it. Winky didn't know. So he's in the top box. He comes out of his trance. He takes the wand because it's readily available. He's holding on to it. And then... Uh, later on, when the chaos is happening in the camp, when the Death Eaters are are on the march in their Death Eater Death Day parade, he says, "The sound of their voices awoke me. My mind was clearer than it had been in years. I was angry. I had the wand. I wanted to attack them for their disloyalty to my master. My father had left the tent. He had gone to free the Muggles. Winky was afraid to see me so angry. She used her own brand of magic to bind me to her. She pulled me away from the tent, pulled me into the forest, away from the Death Eaters. I tried to hold her back." I wanted to return to the campsite. I wanted to show those Death Eaters what loyalty to the Dark Lord meant and punish them for their lack for it. A lack of it. I used the stolen wand to cast the dark mark in the sky. Ministry wizards arrived. They shot stunning spells everywhere. One of the spells came through the trees where Winky and I stood. The bond connecting us was broken. We were both stunned. When Winky was discovered, my father knew I must be nearby. Mm. He searched the bushes where she had been found and felt me lying there. He waited until the other ministry members had left the forest. He put me back under the Imperious curse and took me home. He dismissed Winky. She had failed him.
1: So the key word there to answer my previous question is a boy's wand. He didn't know yes. it was Harry's. Okay.
4: Yeah, he just grabbed it because it was available. I don't even we don't even know for sure that he fully registered that it was Harry Potter because he can only see the back of him and he's never seen Harry Potter right, before. Right. So we don't even know that he knows who Harry Potter is.
1: Very convenient if he had known. If he could try to use that to his advantage and make it look more suspicious on Harry's part, but he didn't know.
4: Oh, sure. But no, in 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 terms of like the the question about whether his father knew he was knew he was missing he didn't know he didn't know he was missing but as soon as he shows up under the dark mark and he sees winky that's when he realizes he's missing because he can't even feel him originally at first that's why he goes to look in the bushes
2: and this is after he was so this is after the whole group stunned them
4: yeah the whole group stunned. they shoot stunners everywhere found
2: him first and then made him disappear before he came back and started blaming others is that what we're saying
4: yeah the way it worked out was the stunners get sent everywhere amos diggory goat says some of our stunners went right through those trees we probably got them he comes back with winky mr crouch goes back to look in the bushes when he sees winky because he knows that if winky was there Mm. then his son probably was too That's when he, re, you know, his son was already stunned. That's when he puts him back under the imperious curse.
2: So this could be why he was acting so aggressively then. Because he He was on edge. Got it. So he's, yeah,
4: he's, he's at least, Amos Diggory is just jumping to blame people because he's terrible at investigating because he works for magical animal control. Not that that's not a worthy job. It is just that he's not, you know, he's not qualified for detective work. But um Mr. Crouch is quick to blame absolutely anybody that he can to take the blame off of what was really going on.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot more sense. Thank you.
4: <laughs> they're just so so I mean uh, whether they're it's because they're terrible investigators or because they're all prejudiced they're all just all so bad at talking to Winky except for the one question that Mr. Weasley asks Winky. 'Cause they're just accusing Winky of stuff, and Winky keeps saying, "I isn't doing magic, sir. I isn't using wands. I isn't knowing how." She says it over and over and over, and they aren't like they aren't getting to the bottom of anything. The only question that gets a straight answer is, "Winky, where did you find the wand?" "Oh, I found it over there in the trees, sir." Yeah, he's the only one. He's the
1: only one speaking to Winky. Winky, pardon me, with any ounce of respect or kindness. Which yeah. to his character. Yeah.
3: yeah, but because of this Winky interrogation, we learned that the Golden Trio didn't cast the Dark Mark, but it is presumed that Winky took the wand to cast the Dark Mark.
4: Yeah. But just if they had stepped back for like a second and thought This doesn't make any logical sense. Why would a house elf know that? I mean, they even ask, how would she have learned that spell? How would she have used a wand? Like, they aren't thinking it's not, it is not innocent until proven guilty by any means, which is what makes it a little bit heavy handed for me on the point of wizards mistreat and abuse creatures who aren't wizards because they think they're better than everybody else on the planet. Just could you at least give me something that I can understand?
1: All Crouch can can focus on is, oh, well, that reflects badly on me. If you're suggesting my house elf knows how to do this dark magic, all he can focus on is that it makes him look bad.
2: Which, of course, is ironic because it's his son that's like causing all of this. But
3: don't the adults know about Barty Crouch? They know about Barty Crouch Jr. being convicted.
2: Right. Yeah, they think he's dead.
3: So couldn't they think that he, like, brainwashed? I don't like that word. Like, winky into kind of having a more Death Eater ideology, like, creature. Mm. Jeff's
4: face. They would... (laughs) They would, they would need, I mean, first of all, apart from the fact that Barty Crouch is very, very powerful and influential and important, I mean, yeah, he had a huge fall from grace after his son was convicted along with the other Death Eaters, huge drop in popularity, end of his path to become Minister of Magic. We we know that now. But as far as him turning to having a more Death Eater-ish kind of attitude and teaching that to Winky, if you're going to come at somebody like Barty Crouch with those kind of accusations, you better have all your ducks in a row because nobody's even going to Think that unless they are absolutely sure they can make their case, and they can't. Because even after the fact, there were still some people, I think, who were willing to say Barty Crouch Sr. is the greatest anti dark wizard advocate of all time because he was so anti Voldemort and so anti Death Eater, he wouldn't even you know, make an exception for his own son. He was so hardcore into this is something that absolutely cannot be allowed to stand. So I don't, I I don't know that I could buy that.
3: But then we know that Winky's given clothes and is let go from her duties.
4: Mm Mm-hmm. And we, we talked about it earlier. It's it's really – it's a stark difference because with Dobby, Dobby is over – I mean, Dobby's given a sock by accident, but Dobby is overjoyed because Dobby is just horribly mistreated and abused by the Malfoys. And we again, we don't see that many examples of house elves, but Winky is – Completely devoted to the Crouch family because it's 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 a family tradition. Her mother did it before her. Her grandmother did it before her mother. And with Hokey, Hokey seems to like Hephzibah Smith well enough. She's nice. And with Creature, Creature was kind to people who were kind to him. So what's interesting is with Dobby, I just thought about this, Dobby – does not like his masters because they are all horrible to Dobby. Winky likes all the Crouches because the Crouches are about as nice to Winky as most people probably are to their house elves. They at least, you know, give her duties, and I'm assuming every now and then they give her like a thumbs up or a thanks, Winky, you know, for that. That's, you know, to Winky would probably be kindness. But with Creature, Creature gets both because Creature is hopelessly devoted to the House of Black and to the nobility, supposed nobility of purebloods, and clearly speaks about Regulus with and his old mistress with great reverence, but completely abhors Hmm. serious black, and then doesn't start showing any kind of kindness to Harry until Harry gives him the locket, and then it's like total 180. So... One house elf gets nothing but hatred. One house elf gets about as much kindness as house elves probably get. And then you've got Creature in the middle who actually gets both.
2: Yeah, and I like that you pointed out how... um Mr. Weasley was willing to hear. Yeah,
4: at least it just Mm -hmm. it's one more reason. I adore Arthur Weasley. Yes, there are times where some of his parenting decisions might be kind of questionable. Like I personally wouldn't find out that my teenage son stole a car and went on a rescue mission. And I wouldn't say, did you really? How did it go? Like, that wouldn't be me. But I mean, in the wizarding world, there's probably some things that give them perspective because this is just everyday life for them and we'll never understand them. And flying a car to save somebody that you also
2: care about is probably one of those things. But And it's his passion, I mean, too. I mean, let's just take that into account. Like, he worked so hard on this thing. So I think it was just instinct of, like, oh, wow, like, did it work?
4: Yeah. And he's also—let's let, not forget— Arthur Weasley is considered a weirdo by many of his ministry colleagues because he's passionate about muggles. Not only does he want to study muggles, he likes them. He wants to get to know them. He wants to learn about them from their own perspective. He wants to take the Grangers out for a drink so that he can, you know, kind of interview them about what Muggle life is like. He collects plugs for crying out loud. He's just he's such a nice guy. So, of course, he's going to be nice to the house self when nobody else is being nice to the house self, because that's 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 how he's that's how he's wired. He's the guy who is nice to people that people aren't necessarily being nice to. Like, I like to think when Arthur Weasley was at school, he was that guy who would see a student getting bullied, and he might not be successful at getting the bullying to stop, but at least afterwards, he would be the person to kind of sit and have lunch with that person and say, hey, it's okay. you have anything you want to talk about? Super nice, compassionate, empathetic guy.
2: I agree. I agree with this. Good points. And speaking of Winky getting clothed. I just want to point out that she clearly has Scorpio loyalty because at this point in time, she has been released from any type of ties to the Crouch family, and she could have straight up put this man on blast. She could have laid all his business out. She could have even just given, like, a little snippet of, like, so where's your son anyway? And she did none of that. And I just think, like, (sighs) Poor Winky. And obviously, later on in this book, with instances of lots of butterbeer, it just it ends up being a very sad situation. But another thing that I wanted to ask is, you know, looking back, do we feel like it was kind or stupid of Barty Crouch to let Barty Crouch Jr. attend the Quidditch World Cup? Knowing what you know now, do you still feel like, oh, you know, as a dad, I think it made sense for him to do that? Or do you feel like Nah. I think it was risky. Risky business.
4: <laughs> mm. Everything he did regarding that boy is stupid. <laughs> he did about as good a job being a dad to that kid as Lucius is doing to Draco right now, and... Oh my gosh, guys, it's the same thing I was saying earlier the other way around. Lucius tried to raise Draco to be a meanie, but Draco ended up going over to the side of good for but a moment because Dumbledore showed him compassion and kindness, whereas Barty Crouch tried to raise his son, barely, to be... I mean, he literally even gave him his name and made him a junior, but he didn't give him the kind of... Attention and compassion and understanding that he wanted from his father. And then he ended up getting it from the side of evil. Uh, Draco uh. and Barty Crouch Jr. have so much to talk about. If he could just stop turning him
3: into ferrets. I think Senior did it because his wife wanted him
4: to. Yeah, he straight, straight up says that. he. My father rescued me as a last favor to my mother. He loved her as he'd never loved me. He straight up says it.
3: And I think it's, like, because when Junior was imprisoned, mom just went downhill, and I think it was kind of, like, her dying wish for them to rekindle, rekindle well, have a better relationship. And I think sending Junior to the World Cup was Senior's way of starting that relationship
1: so maybe it, was it is both. stupid it was kind of stupid it was That's
3: yeah very-
4: it was it was it was like the most compassion you're gonna get it was the most sentimentality you're gonna get from somebody as emotionally stunted as Barty crouch senior and let's let's also remember he only did that because the house elf he, Barty Cross jr doesn't even call winky by her name the house elf persuaded him to give him occasional treats rewards for his good behavior let him smell fresh air you know his mother didn't rescue him for you know a life of a different kind of imprisonment and his father's like oh well, all right but no it was very very stupid very very stupid like if you're going to rescue somebody from if you're going to break somebody out of jail and then put a curse on them to control them, you need to like have eyes on them all the time or you need somebody deputized that you can trust to have eyes on them all the time. Who's going to do things exactly the same way that you would? And Winky is not the right choice for that.
2: Well, and I think to ask that question in this chapter is one thing but then to also ask this question at the end of the chapter when you hear the whole story is another thing because I know that I know that whenever I was reading this for the first and second time hearing this I was kind of like even I felt like oh that was nice of him but then of course <laughs> after reading it after everything that just happened I'm like mm. so here listeners let us know what do you think Good idea? Well, no, we know it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> Not Knowing what you know, <laughs> do you think no. that it was a kind thing to do, or do you feel like, no, you broke but him out of jail, you should have just left him where he was? If they think it was a good idea,
1: try to justify why. We would yeah.
4: like just to no. know. Yeah. Yes, Convince make your us. case. <laughs> State your truth and stand in it.
2: Yes. I'd even be interested if someone is willing to go as far as how, what... Even if, let's say, Barty Crouch Junior. didn't come across the wand, like what could have happened differently? Like if things didn't take this left turn, is well, there is there some always... world where all Barty Crouch Junior. did was go to this game, enjoy the, enjoy his freedom, his temporary freedom, and then just go back, watch the Black Parade, the Macy's Parade, yeah, and then go home? Then again, I guess that oh, would that would cut out the entire boy. plot of. Goblet Jeff, of Fire. I
1: cannot like I'm not kidding. I cannot get that image. <laughs> I can't get the image out of my head. I see, Luke, I see Draco singing it about his father taking him to a Quidditch game, and then. Oh my gosh! And it's I like could totally see Draco being in my a my chemical
4: romance fan. <laughs> and like I wanted, he's even. Oh, he could even like with the hair. Like I he could even do a Gerard way. A little bit
1: more eyeliner, and he would be there.
4: Okay. You know what? Honestly, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to confess a headcanon to you guys. Like, I picture Draco Malfoy, like, 11, 12 years old you know fine but then like from 13 going forward every book like his eyeliner in my mind just gets progressively heavier (laughs) and heavier and heavier and it gets even more smudged because like he's by the time you get to book 6 he's not eating he's not sleeping and then by book 7 he's just yeah he's crying like he's got mascara running down his face and he's like why do I have mascara I didn't even put mascara on how could it be running down my
1: face I support this headcanon yes (laughs) 100%. 100%.
4: <laughs> oh, they get back to the tent and just the debriefing going on with Harry and Hermione and the Weasleys.
3: Oh, them telling talking about the hot gas that just happened.
4: <laughs> oh, yes. This is like an, uh, it's almost like an, I mean, speaking of Drag Race, which we're all obviously on board with this metaphor. So let's see where it goes. This is like an episode of Untucked. Mm-hmm. Like For anybody yes. who doesn't really? understand Drag Race, Untucked is like what goes on behind the scenes during the judges deliberations at the, at, you know, at the challenges in RuPaul's Drag Race. But this is this is very much that like this is them trying to talk through what just happened. What does it mean? Wh- what's going to happen now? This this is their untucked moment.
2: They're debriefing. That's a really good analogy. Yeah.
4: And. Just because Mr. Weasley, like he's the eldest, he's the dad, like he's 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 seen what a lot of this was like the last time that it happened. But that doesn't stop any of the baby queens in this in this workroom from having opinions like they have they have opinions about what's going on here.
2: Speaking of what's going on here, why is Bill bleeding? Is it confirmed that he fought anyone
4: I mean, it could have been Bill tripped and he hit his arm on a rock and it cut him. It could be like he got into somebody brought a knife to a wand fight, they cut him and he was like.
1: But stupify. if he did, did hit a tree branch, you best believe he's going to tell you he got into some sort of duel with somebody.
2: For me, I'm still going back to earlier with the whole why did no one try to take down any of these? any of these death eaters maybe it was bill maybe it was bill and that's
3: why he's bleeding yeah yeah
2: Yeah. and he's not gonna tell anyone about it because he doesn't want them to know (laughs) that it didn't work out in his favor
4: it's not the bleeding for me it's the why is he using a bed sheet can't he conjure
1: a bandage I mean, for crying out loud, he's qualified
4: enough to become a curse breaker for Gringotts, which is a super hard job to do. Can he not just, like, conjure some bandages? He
1: also forgot he's a wizard, just like
3: Hermione did. Or his spell slots are full and he can't conjure. But he has no (laughs)
1: excuse because he grew up a wizard.
3: His spell slots. We
1: have all the reasons.
3: Ah, that's classic. I
4: love that. Um I, I in this conversation like there's there's two points that I want to bring up as as we get closer to the end of the chapter. The first is that I mentioned earlier that I admire Hermione's ability to stay on her message even when Other stuff is happening around them and it's maybe not the right time in a weird way. Like this is the beginning of the part of Percy Weasley that even I can't really defend to people. But like the way that he is able to just stay on message of I love my boss. He is the epitome of morality and how things should be done. And yes, he was right to dismiss his house self. And then Hermione's just like all over him.
2: Not the the time, Hermione. Not the time.
4: No, definitely. I mean, they they kind of end up both. Not the time. And they (laughs) no, and they even end up having the same. Like they're 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 both having their messages at the same time. This is the part of you know i mentioned that this is like an episode of untucked this is the part where like one queen is just i was just trying to express an opinion i was just trying to say how i feel and then somebody else jumps in and the two of them are sniping at each other and at some point one of them is gonna say the catchphrase that sticks with them even after the season's over (laughs) yeah this is the this is not rupaul's best friend race argument between percy i said
3: what i said i
4: said this is your moment have it. <laughs> We're making references some people might not understand, but some people definitely will. That's okay. So they're going to watch Drag Race
1: I, after they listen to this. It's all good.
4: Absolutely, they are. The last thing I want to bring up, I have a question about dark marks. I don't remember exactly who put this idea in my head, but somebody brought this up to me recently. Dark marks are on everything. They're on T-shirts. They're jewelry. And I've seen... So many people. Like, it's it's a thing that you do. Like, Death Eaters in the books and in the movies, they have the Dark Mark tattoo on the forearm. So people get the Death Eater Dark Mark tattoo. And I'm thinking, this is a symbol that unites a group of people in hatred and terrible, you know, dark magic and doing bad things. And, like, I I can understand to a point, like, people like villains. I get it. People love like especially there's two things I think of like people love Disney villains and especially with some franchises like for me it's the Batman franchise the villains are much much more interesting and much more fun to collect merchandise for than the heroes. I get it. But this is a symbol that is meant to represent a group of people who are doing the most evil and despicable things in in this wizarding world. And it kind of feels like people are maybe not so keen to get that symbol tattooed on their bodies anymore. Like, do, what do you guys think the fascination is with dark marks? Is it just because they look cool? And I'm overthinking they look cool. it. They do. I mean, skulls it's a cool are, design. Skull, skulls are kind sure. of trendy.
2: Or the person has the same beliefs as Voldemort. It could be one I or the that- other. People who are doing it aren't drawing
1: parallels to, like, you know, getting real-life scary wartime symbols put on their bodies. You know what I mean? Like, no one would ever, I hope—well, no, I'm sure people do—get, like, Hitler's insignia on them, for example.
4: Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a tattoo. Yeah, many, many, many many a person has— Yeah, not what I would call a decent person, but many a person has gotten that tattooed on themselves. So I
1: think when people are doing the dark mark tattoos, they're not really drawing parallels to stuff like that. Should they?
4: Well, that's, that's, that's the question is, is, is it something that you can just think, oh, I just got it because it was a cool symbol from a thing that I like. And it's a tattoo that people in this universe get. And there are some good, there are some characters who aren't the worst who have the tattoo, like Draco gets one. And by the end of the series, he's not the worst anymore. And he's also, he's not what I would necessarily call evil. Like he's got a lot of evil, terrible things that he espouses throughout the series. But the more in-depth you get with Draco, the more I feel like it's not necessarily something that he even believes in. It's something that, like Creature, he's parroting because the people he cares about are teaching it to him, and he's just trying to emulate their example. He's a product by of the his end... upbringing. Exactly. But, like, the, it just—I wonder— If it's like you said, the people who are getting it are probably not the kind who are thinking about it too much, which makes me wonder if you are the kind of person who thinks about it and you've gotten the dark mark tattoo or you've got dark mark jewelry or t-shirts or stuff in your collection, like are people going to hold on to it or are they likely to maybe think this isn't something I need to have? Well,
1: I think it's like any tattoo, you know, the whole... There are people who believe that every tattoo they get has to have a deep meaning and that they have to justify every tattoo they get. And there are other people who get tattoos and they just say, well, it's art and I got it because it's art and it's because I want it and I like it. And that's as deep as it needs to be. Yeah,
4: that's a very good point.
1: I know people ask me about my tattoos all the time and I don't have a reason for all of them. Mm-hmm. Some I do, but some I don't.
4: I'll tell you what, um, a month from now, I'm going to be at Literary Inc. in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is a wonderful-looking Harry Potter tattoo convention. So when I go there, I'm going to observe and kind of try to read the hall a little bit and see, like, what's the vibe? What are people getting done? Is is this something that people are even thinking about? Because there may even... You know, there's going to be panels on art and there's going to be pe- panels on, on Harry Potter and, you know, the state of the fandom, like any good Harry Potter convention would have these days. So this might even be something that comes up at that convention.
1: Very keep cool up that there. you're going to that. I would love to hear more.
4: I'm thrilled about it. I was, I was, um, I was, I'll be honest, I reached out to see if they needed anybody to play in their Wizard Rock show. And by the time I did, they had already booked their performers, but they said that they might keep me in mind for future performances, and they did offer me a ticket, so I signed up to be a volunteer.
2: Amazing. Good
4: for you. So, I I, I'm I'm sure it's going to be a good time. I can't wait to go.
2: Rex, I absolutely love your final comment in here. I literally (laughs) laughed out loud. Me too. I didn't add anything underneath it because... Drop the mic.
3: (laughs) It makes no sense. So, all of this drama just happened. Mr. Weasley ends the chapter with them to not tell telling the kids not to tell Mrs. Weasley about everything because how is this going to be a secret like
6: <laughs> how is this know. not, not going to be gonna in the know? daily prophet it makes no <laughs> sense
4: um actually uh, I I I just I I I get where you're going I just I have to slightly disagree cuz earlier he he was saying don't tell your mother you've been gambling so that one was Please keep this thing from your mother that you did because it's going to go nuclear. But in this case, what he actually says in the book is, listen, it's very late. And if your mother hears what happened, she'll be worried sick. We'll get a few more hours sleep and then try and get an early port key out of here. So he's not saying don't tell her or let's hope she never finds out. He's saying there's a chance she's going to find out what happened before we get home to tell her. So if she does, she's going to be even more worried because we're not there for her to see that we're all right. And case in point, she's got a daily profit in her hands when they get home. And she's like, oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Because he can't – he wouldn't – even if he does want to keep things from her sometimes, like there's no way he would keep this from her because there's no way she's not going to find out about it. This was – like imagine – I'm not going to go too deep into it, but like, imagine trying to keep the the January sixth riot from somebody in in the United States that didn't hear about it. Like everybody knows what happened.
2: I see your point. I don't yeah. care because I still laughed because I still thought it was funny. <laughs> Would
1: Molly not send an owl in the middle of the night or not? If she heard- were. <laughs> well, I guess. How would the she campsite. know? The like, campsite.
4: Like, if you find out... I, I don't think he's even suggesting in the middle of the night like she would somehow know about it. I think he knows enough about how these things tend to go that it's going to be... Like, somebody from the Daily Prophet is probably in the middle of creating the article at that very moment because journalism has to work that fast.
1: Right. But, I just mean that what we know about Molly is how much she loves and worries about her family. So if she found out something in the middle of the night, because wizards can communicate even though they don't have cell phones and whatnot.
2: Yeah, I mean she could absolutely send an owl and a patronus. She can do all of those things. I think I think the bottom line is that she's gonna be super worried. She's probably already yeah. has, like, the the normal level of worry, like, okay, I hope everything went well and they're coming back soon. But then to hear something like this, it would, like, it would amplify it by, like, 100. And I'm sure she would do all the things to try right. to figure out, like, are oh, they yeah. okay? And Arthur's just, and Arthur's, like, let's get home soon so we can go ahead and reassure her. mm mm-hmm.
4: Like, I can see it going like this. The, to, in my mind, the way it works is the Daily Prophet gets delivered. She reads the article. She worries. She stresses. She's trying to figure out what to do. And just when she is on the verge of writing out letters to attach to owls to send out to say, can somebody please confirm my family's safe? Are there please where are you? That's, yeah, that's, mm. she's probably like right on the verge of writing those messages to whomever when they get
1: home. Is the clock... In the Weasleys, uh, in the Burrow, is that from the book as well as the movie? That says yeah, where it everybody is. So, wouldn't it say like yeah. "mortal peril" or yep. "safe" or? So point. maybe that's why.
4: I believe they mentioned that it does actually
3: say uh, "mortal peril." I think it starts saying that like later on in the series.
1: At, for for part of what happened in this chapter, the clock might have said "mortal
2: peril" because you know, something could have happened. Yeah, I know. I just mean that I don't think it, we have any proof have. of that because we're not Oh, there. No. no. Yeah, no. yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it did. I completely agree, but I just we just don't have a way to confirm it.
4: Yeah, no, it's not It's not at this point in, in this chapter, but I think at some point it does. I know that in um Half-Blood Prince, like, everybody's picture gets permanently stuck on mortal peril, and Molly says, it's been like that for a while, but it can't just be our family.
1: Right the clock is kind of useless at that point when there's all of that raining down on the wizarding world
4: some people argue that the clock is useless period but you know the clock is one of those interesting things that people like to talk about like how does it work where does it come from does everybody have one Mm.
1: it's cool regardless
4: it is cool yeah there's so many things in the wizarding world that even if they're not particularly useful or the most practical or they have obvious plot holes they're still cool
1: you just can't focus too much on them. Otherwise you'll see the plot holes.
4: Yeah. Plot holes are, you know what? <laughs> I was telling somebody the other day, thank goodness for plot holes because if there were no plot holes, what would we talk about?
2: <laughs> Fair. The plot. A great way to wrap <laughs> up this chapter on a plot hole.
3: <laughs> yep, <laughs> on a plot
4: we hole. We
2: fell through the plot Listeners, hole.
3: <laughs> let us know your thoughts on plot holes. Yes. Um and um I just we just want to thank you Janine for being a guest on this episode it's been a fabulous time with you
4: yes Thank you, you so have been me. a tremendous asset to this discussion so uh, we we certainly do hope that you will be back with us again
1: oh have me back anytime i haven't had this much fun <laughs> in i don't know how long we love to hear and is there
3: anywhere that you want Listeners to find you, social media handles, websites, whatever. I don't you have feel a website with.
1: or anything, but I'm Janine Nicole 22 on Instagram. So Janine is J A N E E N, and then Nicole is the normal way. So if you want to talk about Harry Potter or Drag Race with me, look me up and I'd love to chat. Yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> Everyone, please make sure that you reach out to Janine. Janine, again, thank you. This was amazing and so much fun. Next time, we will be talking about Half Blood Prince. Which I know is a lot of favorites out there. Not my, my favorite book. Not mine. Cough, cough. Okay the only thing rex and i have in common is that we're hufflepuffs that's where it stops (laughs) everything else in harry potter is complete opposite (laughs) um anywho the next episode will be a half-blood prince revisit chapter 14 felix felices so stay tuned
4: speaking of websites if you would like to visit our website join in on the conversation of past episode discussions and even take a shot at being one of our fabulous guest hosts like janine just visit a Alohomorapodcast.com and choose Be on the Show. You'll find all the instructions there that you need to send us your audition. And you can keep up with us in the meantime on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Spotify at AlohomoraMN. MN. We are on Facebook at Open the Dumbledore. And if you want to send us something, maybe a longer answer, or if you just want to say, hey, you can also email us at Alohomorapodcast
3: at gmail.com. And we also want to shout out Sherry Gomez again for being a sponsor for this episode. And it's her second <coughs> time sponsoring an episode.
2: Yay! Sherry!
3: And if you want to become a patron, head on over to patreon.com slash alohamora. You can pledge as little as $2 and you get a lot of exciting bonus content. Like we started video recording these this year. We, there's ad-free Mora bonus content other things as well just check on over at patreon and with that i'm rex i'm jeff
2: i'm bianca thank you for listening to episode 368 of Mora. open the dumbledore
1: nice. it's very weird without the music you
4: guys tell me about it
1: i'm not used to it See, without i don't the music. know what the, the behind the, music behind the music scenes looks like. janine <laughs> This is raw footage over here, okay? Is, we don't got any
2: wrong. fancy
1: stuff
3: yet. I know.
1: Do you know how many times I walk around the house singing, like, the theme music? Because I just <laughs> listen to the podcast all the time. Finally,
2: my husband goes, what is that? And that's where you gotta be Every like, time- if you know, you know. Right. If you know, you know. So it's
3: funny, because I, like, skip through that stuff.
2: Or I'll open the book, and I'll just be
1: like, open oh,
6: Aloha Mora is produced by Tracy Dunstan and edited by Patrick Mueslick. It was co-created by Noah Freed and Cat Miller and is brought to you by
4: APWBD LLC. Thank you, RuPaul's Drag Race.
1: I just watched Drag Race for the first time last week.
4: What did you think? The new season? I've been, I've been hopelessly obsessed with it for years, so please well, tell I me. Well, I should did you preface, like it?
1: it was Canada's Drag Race because we have the other drag race um, obviously. Oh, which
3: season of Canada?
1: I, I started Canada's at season Drag one race. because do you guys oh, know? Do you guys know the musician Lights? She's Canadian, so I don't know if you yeah. would. Yeah, no? I do
3: know. If I probably listened to her on a lip sync of Canada's Drag Race. Right, that's probably. Where this is going. Right,
1: she's <laughs> a great ally. But anyway, so I saw her live last week, and she had Ooh. she had um. Oh my gosh, now I'm forgetting the queen's name. That's so bad. Anyway, she had a queen open for her at her concert.
4: Was it one
3: of the Canadian girls?
4: Yeah,
1: from season one. Was it Priyanka? No, it wasn't Priyanka. It
3: was... It wasn't Priyanka? okay. No. Was Uh, it Scarlet?
1: Give me one second. I have a DM from.
3: I know it It wasn't Lemon.
1: No, but I wish it was Lemon. I love Lemon. Dude, in was it? Word.
4: Oh, I love lemon, sweet and sour. I do, not, I do not hate lemon. I think lemon has
3: been using Jinx Monsoon's perfume,
4: delusion. <laughs>
3: you know who's been using that delusion perfume? Lux from season fifteen, and I'm here for it. Preach. She does
4: not. It I'm was. Gosh, it
1: was Tinyomi Banks. Yes, oh. Tainomi Banks. Yes, and I can't believe I forgot her name. I'm so sorry, Tainomi, if you're listening to this ever. If you're listening.
2: <laughs> I, I love
4: you. how she walks. You know what? This has turned into Can. This is now Canada's Drag Race podcast. If we don't I'm get so off sorry. Topics, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I'm, ha- could, I'm happy to sit here and talk about this all day, but if we don't get back on Harry Potter soon, then our bosses are probably going to get upset.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Blame you. it on, blame it on me. I'm just very thrilled because it's like a new discovered love I have now
4: you know what we're gonna keep in touch post show so we'll get like contact info and all that so that we can talk about this because canada's drag race has some of the most
3: incredible queens
1: i need to unpack i I don't know i saw
3: brooklyn um friday night at roscoe's
1: No. no lovely that's awesome i love this anyway i'm sorry for derailing back to the back to the show
2: no, no, it's totally fine. No worries. That was that's wrapping up the that is wrapping up the shout out, Maxima. Go listen to the last yeah. episode if you haven't already, because it's pretty amazing. If I do say so myself, which I do.
3: because we're all on it minus Jimmy,
2: it was plus Cat. It was
3: okay.
4: Don't <laughs> listen
2: to Jeff. Fast forward through all his parts.
4: <laughs> okay.
6: So. <laughs>